and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, and Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Unemployment insurance running out, jobs leaving the country. Many people cannot afford to eat or keep a roof over their head. Too many can do neither. Messiah's Branch has a mission church in Wichita, Kansas that helps the victims of this banker's economy, the American people, your neighbors. The mission is the last hope for so many Americans. We need your help to lift up the poorest of the poor. These are men, women, and children who once had homes, now in the street. They all need what you need. First aid, beds, food, clothing, and so on. You can send a monetary gift or a box of necessities to 230 West 4th Street, Florence, Kansas, 66851. Or donate online by going to wichitahomeless.com or simply call 316-619-4886 Countries have denied internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from AVR. The AVR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $149.99. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541 225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System.
All right, good afternoon all. This is the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Stephan. You're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. It is, uh, let's see, July 6, 2015. It's Monday. It's about eight minutes after noon Pacific time. And if all that's true where you're at, we are, in fact, live, which means you can participate in the show, 800-932-1980. 800-932-1980. Anywho, uh, you can also go to the chat room. Now, I just got a call from somebody who says they can't get in the chat room. They think it's been down for a week, but... Chat room's up. I'm in there. People are chatting. It's been up the whole time. Uh, you know, I there's no way I can help people uh, with that because too many different uh, too many different devices, too many different operating systems, too many different things that could go wrong for me to be able to uh, actually help anybody if it's on their end. But uh, the chat room is up and running, and people are in there. Uh, well, chatting away right now. Matter of fact, hey, guess what? It's 86, uh, 86 and clear in Idaho. So, you know, there we go. There's an update on that. And it's raining in 76 and I believe, Indiana. Ah, let's see. Anyhow, I, you can come in and give a weather report, too, if you'd like. It's, uh... Oh, it's, uh, let's see, what does it say it is here? 87, and it's sunny, and seems kind of warm. Seems warmer than that, but that must be not in the sun. Anyway, so there you have it. Uh, TheAmericanVoice.com or AmericanVoiceRadio.com. That's the website, and that's where the chat room's at. That's where the audio archives are at. That's where you can listen. Oops, Iowa. Not Indiana, sorry. I get confused when I see rain because I know it's been raining for like, I don't know, a month in Indiana or something. Uh, okay, so it's raining in Iowa now, too. It's raining everywhere except out here. That would be the Pacific Coast. Anyhow, you can also uh, instant message me through Yahoo. The screen name is AVRN Talk. All right. Well, hope everybody had a uh, a peaceful weekend. Fourth of July weekend. Apparently, the country was not destroyed. We're all still here. You know, ISIS, ISIS, ISIS. They're gonna get us. Well, apparently, they didn't get us. Although, you know, the headlines are. Uh, One murder. And you know why? You know what? Somebody goes and kills a black guy. A white guy kills a black guy. It's a national catastrophe where, oh, we got to start getting rid of uh, flags and we got to start, we got to, like, forget this Confederacy ever happened. Look, you know what? I believe, for one thing, nobody even cared about slavery during the Civil War. Abraham Lincoln made it very clear that, you know, if I had to keep all the slaves slaves, I would. If I had to let them all go, I would. I'd do whatever I got to do to win this war, to, to get the country back together again. That was Abraham Lincoln's idea. He also wanted to deport every black freed slave from this country back to Africa somewhere. 
Ulysses S. Grant. Now, these are northern, the fighters for the slaves. He said if he thought that the war was about slavery, he'd be on the other side. So, I guess it wasn't. What it was, was after two years of dead bodies piling up. See, because nobody, nobody expected, okay? Nobody expected the Civil War, the War of Northern Aggression, to actually last, you know, more than, I don't know, six months, maybe. Nobody expected it to be the way it was. It was just, you you got to understand, more people died in the Civil War. More Americans died in the Civil War than have died in all the other wars put together. And yeah, granted, both sides were American, but man, they were using, uh, they were not using modern weaponry. Okay? It was brutal. Nobody expected it. And as the bodies piled up after two years, the North was basically losing its stomach for for this fight. The people were, at least, not the government, because they never lose their stomach for killing. They never have. I'm telling you, the government of the United States that's based in Washington, D.C., is a murdering psychopath and always has been. Since they got this Constitution, they have been a bunch of murdering psychopaths. Because why? Because they can. The Anti-Federalists warned everybody. And that's really what the issue was. It wasn't slavery. That was a PR stunt by Lincoln and his banker friends, Madison Avenue, New York scum. Because, oh oh we got to keep the North uh, wanting to kill. We got to come up with an issue. We got to come up with something that, uh, you know, people can wrap their heads around. I know what it is. Uh, we got to let all these slaves go because those poor slaves, those dirty, rotten Southerners are keeping people as property. Well, so was the North. And Abraham Lincoln's so-called Emancipation Proclamation only freed the supposed Southern slaves as if he had any authority to do anything in the Confederacy. It was just a PR stunt. That's all it was. He was trying to disrupt the South. But it worked. Just like the lie about the Holocaust. Oh, six million Jews got killed. Yeah, even though there wasn't six million Jews in Europe at the time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah they, 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 what, pooped some out so they could kill them? That it? You know, look, in 1969, 600,000 was the, you know, accepted number. 600,000. Now, listen. That's nowhere near six million. But uh, a little over half a million people killed? What, that's not, that's not a holocaust to you? Are you one of them psychopaths from Washington, D.C., or what? I think killing 600,000 people is a holocaust. I don't think it has to be millions. 
Matter of fact, I think it'd be a holocaust if you killed half that many people, or even half of that many people. I mean, could, what would you call it today if, uh, let's see, how many, uh, oh, uh, you know, you go into a, uh, all right, Portland, Oregon. You go to Portland, Oregon and kill more than half the people there. I'd say that's a holocaust. But no, no, no. We got to boost it up. We got to make it worse than it was. We got to make it six million. And if you deny that, well, you're a Jew hater or whatever. Well, it's the same with the South. Slave, slavery was not the issue of the war. What was the issue of the war? Why do you think the South called themselves and set up their government as a confederacy? Hmm, what a wonderful idea. Gee, I wonder who thought that up. Oh, I know, because that's what the country was based on. Oh, but we're not taught any of that. No, 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 no. When you go to school, you're taught that the first president of the United States of America was George Washington. Well, that's wrong by about 11. That's right. There were 11 presidents of the United States of America in Congress assembled. But no, no, we don't want to hear about that. Because, you see, you might start getting a picture of what the Civil War was really about. If, well, you ever read the Federalist Papers or the Anti-Federalist Papers, and you ever read the Articles of Confederation and actually knew any of the history of the United States of America, you might start going, hey, wait a minute, uh, the South seems curiously similar to the Articles of Confederation, which was what the original 13 colonies was based on. That was the Constitution right there. The Articles of Confederation. What the Civil War was about was the South, through this new Constitution, and if you read the Anti-Federalist Papers, you'll see they predicted it. They predicted there would be civil war over this thing because you know why? They recognized that the more populated, industrialized areas would have a distinct advantage over rural and agriculture. They saw it written into the Constitution. You would get more representation. Therefore, you would have more control. And that's exactly what the North did. That's exactly what the federal government did. Started squeezing the South. Well, you're going to pay this much tax on exports. And why? Because the federal government was bought off by big textile companies up North that wanted cheap Southern cotton. But they couldn't just tell them, oh, no, you can't export that. You've got to export that to the North. No. So they just said, okay, uh, well... Exports to foreign countries is going to be a 20% tax. And the South lived with that. But then when Lincoln got in, he vowed that I'm raising that tax. Because you know why? The European, they were paying extra for the cotton. So the North said, well, we're going to raise the tax even more. And the South said, no, you know what? They couldn't stop them either because Congress was taken over by the North because of the way the Constitution was set up to where, yeah, if you got more people, you got more say. 
You're not equal. You do not have equal footing under the Constitution. The more people you got, the more say you got. So the South said, see ya, we're going back to the way it was, to what we agreed to in the first place, a confederation. And that's what it was. Yes, it was states' rights. Slavery was a PR stunt, just like it is now. Racism. It's a PR stunt. Does racism happen? Sure it does. Hey, racism's happened to me. Go live in Hawaii for a while and tell me they're not racists. But hey, you know what? It's their island. I got over it, man. You know, I just dealt with it. But there is institutional discrimination on the islands. So what? And it happens. There's people out there that hate other, you know, just because of your color or your whatever. What are you going to do? You're not going to change people from that. So what? Stay away from each other then if you don't like each other. But PR stunt, PR stunt, PR stunt. Now, let's see. So we know if a white man kills a black man, it's a big national news story, right? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. There's racism. Oh, racism everywhere. Uh, Oh, and then, hey, the Donald gets out there and says, hey, you know what? The federal government's been letting in these Mexicans that are murderers, rapists, criminals. And the media just wants to crucify the guy. Oh, we're going to take We're going to cancel the Miss USA pageant because Donald Trump owns it. Oh, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. Oh, Donald Trump's off NBC. Oh, Donald Trump's off the TV. Oh, the Dukes of Hazard have to get off of, of uh, TV land. Meanwhile, five-time deportee, seven-time convicted felon. Hey, what happened at three strikes you're out? Seven-time convicted felon? Juan Francisco Lopez Sanchez said in a new interview Sunday with a local ABC News affiliate that he came to San Francisco because he knew the sanctuary city would not hand him over to immigration officials. He also claimed that he was looking for jobs in the restaurant or roofing, landscaping, or construction. You mean roofing and construction? You mean those jobs Americans won't do, right? Lopez Sanchez has confessed to shooting Catherine Stinow, Steinel, Steinel, last Wednesday at Pier 14. Had San Francisco police not refused an immigration and customs enforcement detainer request, Lopez Sanchez may not have been in the United States and uh, Steinle might still be alive. Did you shoot Kate Steinle, the lady who was down at Pier 14? An ABC7 news reporter asked Lopez Sanchez in an interview exclusive to the station. Yes, said Sanchez. Apparently, he hasn't heard the whole don't talk to police also means don't talk to reporters, but hey, uh, good for him. Um, An ICE official told Breitbart News that ICE enforcement and removal had begun processing the suspect for reinstatement of removal from the U.S. 
in March. But instead, Lopez Sanchez was transferred on March 26th from the Bureau of Prisons to another city, to the San Francisco Sheriff's Department, because of the drug warrant. ICE then filed a detainer request to be notified prior to Lopez Sanchez's release from custody. A San Francisco court dismissed Lopez's Sanchez drug charges on March 27th. San Francisco and San Francisco, I don't know, SD, what's that? The policy is to deny ICE detainer requests, barring special circumstances, such as a warrant for a suspected violent offender. The ICE detainer request was denied. And on April 15th, Lopez Sanchez was released. Two and a half months later, he killed this woman. The 2013 Trust Act, signed by Governor Jerry Brown, gave California cities like San Francisco more leeway in deciding whether to comply with immigration authorities. Jerry Brown should be arrested for being an accomplice in murder right now. He should be arrested, put in handcuffs, and maybe slapped around a little bit. Like everybody else who gets arrested in California. In the ABC7 interview, Sanchez claimed that he had found sleeping pills in a dumpster and taken them before heading down to the pier. He strangely claims he found the gun on a bench wrapped in a t-shirt. Well, who hasn't that happened to, huh? I mean, you're walking down the street and there's a gun just wrapped up on a bench. Sure it is. In a new version of the story, he says the gun went off three times and that he kicked it into the bay. He then lit up a cigarette, walked away, and claims he didn't know he shot anyone until police picked him up. Uh-huh. Sanchez initially told the police he shot the gun at Sea Lions. Sanchez said he knew San Francisco was a sanctuary city where he would not be pursued by immigration officials. The same night, Steinel was shot and killed a four-time deported illegal alien in Laredo, Texas, murdered his wife with a hammer. Uh-oh, with a hammer? Well, you know what that means, folks. We're going to have to move quickly to ban hammers, aren't we? Oh, yeah. We're going to have to register hammers now, I think. You know, and then maybe take them away. Because, you know, hey, hammers are not even a constitutionally protected item. You know, there's nothing in the Constitution that says you have a right to have and bear hammers. But they're not taking hammers away, are they? According to his own admission. Boy, these Mexicans, they don't mind, uh, you know, confessing, do they? But, hey, you know why? You know why they don't care about confessing? Because they figure, it doesn't matter. I'll say whatever. Yeah, sure, I killed them all. I killed the whole town, so what? I know you'll put me in jail for a little while, and then uh, you'll let me go. Because, well, that's what you do here in America. If you're an illegal alien, hey, King's X for you, man. You get to go. We'll hold you for a little while, make it look good, and then we'll let you out so you can kill somebody else. But boy, don't let somebody like Donald Trump point this fact out, huh? No, no. Ooh, he has to be kicked off of TV. He has to be kicked off of everywhere. He's a racist, even though he's telling the truth. Now, Breitbart, Texas, previously reported that Laredo Police Department admitted 
three prior violent encounters with the, the illegal alien. Federal agents told Breitbart, Texas, that Laredo police failed to inform Border Patrol of the encounters with the illegally present foreign national, illegal alien, in other words. It was suggested that the woman would still be alive today had police reported the man to Border Patrol. Well, maybe so, huh? So, you see... You might not like what Donald Trump has to say, but, you know, the truth's the truth, man. The truth is the truth. He told the truth. It's true. Now, does that mean every illegal alien? No, and that's what he said. That's what he said. That there's some good ones, too. But you know what? That's like saying there's some good bank robbers out there. Really? Because, hey, what what are you doing anyway? What is the difference between being an illegal alien in this country and being a bank robber? Honestly, what is the difference? If you're just a bank robber, you go into the bank, you rob the bank, and you leave. You don't hurt anybody, you don't kill anybody, you just rob the money. That's what illegal aliens are doing. They come here, they suck up free, supposedly free, but it's not free. You're paying for it. Free education, free medical, free welfare, free food stamps, free legal advice, free everything. But it's not free. You're paying for it. They're robbing you. Just by being here, they're robbing you. How's that different than a bank robber? Oh, well, there's some good illegal aliens. You know, they don't hurt anybody while they rob them. They just rob them, and then they don't hurt anybody. And then you've got the bad bank robbers that come in and shoot up the place and kill everybody and take the money. That's the, the two kind of illegal aliens that I just mentioned. Yeah. So don't tell me there's some good illegal aliens. There aren't any good illegal aliens. If you're here illegally, you're a criminal and you're a thief. And you're robbing the American people. Somebody in the chat room saying robbing the bank is still illegal as far as I know, but getting welfare is not. Getting welfare if you're an illegal alien is. Being robbed is being robbed, whether it's legal or not. So you're telling me that because the federal scumbag says, hey, you know what? It's legal for this group over here to rob you. Oh, well, then never mind. I guess it's okay now because the federal dirtbags say that it's okay for them to rob me. I guess I better just go sit down. Sorry, no. They're thieves, and they're here illegally, and they're robbing the American people, and your stinking rotten Congress in Washington, D.C., and that dirtbag president is letting them. Not only letting them, they're encouraging it got to ask yourself why. I mean, really, that's the next question. Why? Why? Okay, we see that they're doing it. I mean, everybody's hammering that away, that, yeah, they're doing it, they're doing it, they're doing it. Okay. But why? Why are they doing it? I mean, really, we got to look at why. Uh... 
Okay, this keeps going on in the chat room. Let me make it real clear to you. If you're an illegal alien, you're not entitled to squat in this country. If you fill out papers and say you are, you're lying. You're a thief, and that's robbery. So, enough said. You know, I get so sick of people making excuses for illegal aliens. I really do. Well, this is why, we, this is why we're in the can like we are. Because people want to make these arguments that, well, you, you know, it's okay for them to do this. It's not the same. It's not the same as robbery. It's not the same because, you know, they're allowed to have all this free stuff. Yeah, well, sorry. You know what? Welcome to America. I hope you enjoy the destruction because it's that kind of attitude that's brought it on. And no, it's not one person that thinks that way. But you know what? It's the herd mentality. Everybody's starting to think this way. Oh, we got to get rid of the offensive the Confederate flag. Oh, we got to get rid of Donald Trump because he said the truth about illegal aliens. Huh. Meanwhile, meanwhile, you've got Congress and the president selling you down the river with TPP. You're not going to have to worry about illegal aliens soon because what's going to happen with TPP? There won't be any more illegal aliens. They'll all be legal. That's right, stroke of a pen, we made a deal, and bang, bang, you're legal now. Oh, man. People are really going to be upset when that happens, but nobody's going to do anything. Although maybe people will, you know, because one one day... All the peaceful, compliant Americans are going to say, okay, that's it. And they're going to start going crazy. I don't know when that is. And I don't know what's going to make it happen, but it's going to happen. Because people will only take so much. And, and you know what? Americans have taken far more than I ever thought they would. But, you know, then again, I have to remind myself and walk on down to Walmart every once in a while and go look around and say, oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, let, me look, let me take a good look around. Oh, I see why we're in the can. I see why we're in the ditch. Oh, yeah, okay, I get it. And sadly, it's not just Walmart. I just like to pick on Walmart. Anyway, we'll take a break. We'll be back in a bit.
All right, we're back. This is the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Stephan. You're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. Uh, it's the 6th of July, Monday, 2015. It's about 12.45 and a half out here on the Pacific Time Coast. If that's all true, uh, where you're at. We are live, and you can uh, participate in the show, 800-932-1980. That's the uh, call-in number. You can also go to our uh, chat room, located at our website. And uh, that's theamericanvoice.com or americanvoiceradio.com. You'll see the chat uh, link, and uh, anyway, oh yeah, uh, Yahoo Instant Messenger, AVRN Talk, that's the chat, uh, the uh, screen name for the IM. All right, oh, the uh, the songs. Okay, uh, the first one there was pretty uh, pretty good guesses. People said uh, it sounded like Joe Cocker's band without Joe Cocker singing, and, and that that's kind of kind of right. Except uh, that was actually Leon Russell, who's uh, like a big star in his own right. And then the second one was "Shut Up and Get on the Plane," and that's by Drive By Truckers. Anywho, there they are. There, there's the uh, songs and all that. Yeah, Drive By Truckers has a whole album, basically songs about Leonard Skinner. You know, not specifically, but that's what they are. Uh, pretty interesting. I don't like all of them, but there's some really good ones on there. But anyhow, let's get back to the news because it's wonderful. Just wonderful. You know, uh, we just got done celebrating pretending to be free, pretending to be independent. Yeah. Ooh, isn't that fun? Eh, well, anyway, so let's just get on to some things here. Uh, I guess we'll... Uh, Greece. We'll talk a little bit about Greece. Not much, because uh, everybody knows which way this is going been going this way for years now i mean look if you have a debt that there's no way you can pay you're not going to pay it i mean that's just pretty simple right if you have a debt that you are unable to pay you just won't pay it and that's you know that that's greece and now Greek voters, they had a referendum. They vote all the time over there on stuff, and they had a referendum now. They overwhelmingly turned down the terms of an international bailout. They have, uh, well, rejected the IMF and the European, uh, you know, uh, idea of, oh, well, you know what, you're going to have to do without... So our banks can get paid. Because we made some bad loans, and uh, now we want to own everything in your country. That's really, you see, the IMF, 
I want you to understand something, because I know there's people out there that think, well, those dirty, rotten Greeks, you know, they borrowed the money, and they really ought to pay it back. And and that's just a good way to be. You know, you borrow money and you pay it back. That's how it is. You shouldn't have borrowed the money if you couldn't pay it back. Well, okay, you have an overly simplistic view of what's actually going on. And it's probably not your fault, because nobody really understands the monetary system, because it's a fraud. But how the IMF has acted in the past and how they're acting in Greece is this. They go in and they make predatory loans, meaning they loan money to people they know cannot pay them back. You think the IMF just woke up one day and said, oh my gosh, what have we done? What, did the IMF go on like a five-year drunk or something? And, uh, you know, then they woke up and said, oh my gosh, look what we did. Oh my, we got to do something. No. They knew what they were doing. They loaned a lot of money to a country that can't pay it back. They do it all the time. They did it all through South America. This is nothing new with the IMF. It's just now countries are starting to get smart and say, you know what, screw you. Take your debt and shove it where the sun don't shine. We're not paying. Like Iceland did. So then what happens? Why would you loan money to somebody who can't ever pay it back? For one thing, you're not loaning any money. Okay? It's not money. It's credit. It's not money. You're spinning it out of thin air. It's only credit because you say it's credit. Well, we're the IMF and we create credit, so here you go. Here's a pile of credit. Now you owe us. You owe us money back for something we never loaned you. You want a taste of what's going on in Greece? Go get a credit card. They do the same thing to you there. And everything that the IMF loans out as a debt, they count as an asset on their side. Well, look at how much uh, how rich we are now. Yeah. Well, what does the IMF expect? Well, they come into a country and they go, well, seeing as how you don't have any... Oh, you got gold in your safe? Okay, we'll take that. We'll take that, we'll take all that, and then we'll, we'll loan you some more credit. That's what they did in Argentina. And then when you're out of gold, they come back and they go, well, you don't have any money now for anything. I'll tell you what we'll do. You start doing austerity. See, that's what they call it now. What it means is you take all your public Utilities. Everything that you, as a government, provide for the people and you privatize it. Meaning you sell it to one of our buddies who will buy it. And that will give you money to pay us back. And then our pals will now own the sewer system, the water system, the garbage system, and they'll own it all. And they'll run it into the ground. If, if Greece would be anything like South America, that's what they would do. They'd run it into the ground to the point of no maintenance, no nothing, till sewer and water was flowing down the streets together. Then they'd just walk away. Everybody profits except the country. Well, now Greece has said, no, we're not doing that. Good for them. And the margin was 61 to 39. That's pretty much against. Hmm? 
Matter of fact, that could even be considered a supermajority. Greeks voted no to further budget cuts and tax hikes in exchange for a rescue package from the European creditors. <laughs> yeah, a rescue package. That's funny. Yeah, okay, here's the rescue package. Uh, you give us everything you own, and we'll, uh, we'll push some more worthless credit your way. Hmm. Polls had indicated a narrow vote, but the no side swept districts across the country. Thousands of people flocked to Athens' uh, Synagma Square Sunday night to celebrate. You know, I wonder why the polls said that it was going to be close. Who takes the polls? Oh, that's right, the media that's controlled and owned by the IMF. It's going to be close. Mm-hmm. In voting against austerity, Greek voters have rejected measures that helped cripple the economy, but also turned down a financial lifeline for its struggling banks. The banks will remain closed today as the European Central Bank meets to consider new emergency loans. Greek Prime Minister says he will seek a new round of talks with creditors in which restructuring Greece's $267 billion debt is on the table. You know, it, it, doesn't he get, I, I mean, he's going to get lynched by these people because, you know, the people are saying no. We don't want any more loans. We don't want any more help. Thanks. You've helped us enough. Greece needs to get the hell out of the European Union, go back to their own money, go back to being their own country. You know, they'll probably have to suck it up for five years or so. People aren't going to live the high life in Greece, but so what? Better than being a slave to the international bankers. In a surprise move, Greek finance minister announced his resignation today, saying Greece's creditors no longer want him involved in the talks. <laughs> he said, I shall wear the creditors' loathing with pride. We are joined, uh, well, let's see here. Oh, oh, I see. This is an interview, and they just kind of added that there. So there you have it, folks. So that's what, uh, you know, that's what the Greeks did. And, you know, uh, we should pay attention because the same thing's coming here. You heard the number, right, $256 billion? <laughs> what is that, like a quarter of a trillion dollars, right? Quarter of a trillion dollars? Quarter of a, if we were a quarter of a trillion dollars in debt, they'd be telling us the the budget was balanced and we don't owe anybody anything. A quarter of a trillion dollars? The United States is something like, uh, well, if you count the derivatives, and, and don't go by the phony baloney $18 trillion, do you know what they've done? I mean, they actually sit there and say, oh, the debt has frozen for the last so many months. It hasn't gone up at all. Nothing. Nope. I guess there is no interest. I guess, you know, uh, what is interest on? How much does interest roll up on $18 trillion, even at 0.1% or 0.01%? I mean, honestly, 
And they say, that, oh, well, it's frozen. It stopped. Do you believe that? I don't. I don't believe it at all. It hasn't stopped. They're just not going to, they just stopped reporting it. That's all. With derivatives. It has been floated out there anywhere from $300 trillion to counting the derivatives a quadrillion or so dollars. A quadrillion? Really? I mean, honestly? <laughs> We're supposed to deal with that? Are you kidding me? You see, now we come to the point of, well, if you can't pay, you won't pay. And there's going to come a grease moment here in the United States where, you know, people get smart and say, you know what, we won't be taxed anymore. We're not going to pay this debt anymore. There is no debt anyway. They never loaned us a thing. They don't have anything to loan. They're loaning credit, which means it's crap. It's thin air. Yeah, sure, you can go out and buy things with it because of the phony baloney fiat currency system. But the the bottom line is there was nothing loaned. Oh, let's see. I print up a piece of worthless paper, and I make a law that says everybody's got to take it. So you take it. You go down to the store. You give it to them. They give you something tangible. Guess what? The bank didn't give you anything. The manufacturer, the retailer, they're the ones that gave you the refrigerator or whatever you bought. Not the bank. The bank gave you nothing. The bank robbed the refrigerator from the retailer and gave it to you. Why? Because you just created ten times as much as, ten times as much credit as that refrigerator cost that they can use as assets. That's why that refrigerator is like your reward. But nobody looks at it like that. We should start. Anyway, I got to go. Coming up next is financial survival. I'm sure they'll, you know, talk about what's going on with finances. And uh, it ain't good, folks. You, uh, you need to prepare. But I'll be back again tonight for two hours. We'll have Dean Lauren. And we got a full day between now and then, so don't go anywhere. And as always, thanks for listening. heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? 
Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, and Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Melody Cedarstrom, and you're listening to Financial Survival. I'm here with my co-host, Alfred Addis, to bring you our opinion and commentary on today's economic and political events for Monday, July 6, 2015. Good afternoon, Al. Hi, Melody. Oh, a lot of things going on, but uh, a little reaction out of gold and silver and even our markets, but... Uh, I'm sure uh, things will become a little more lively here in the near future. We have gold up 340 currently in the New York uh, spot price at 1170. You have silver up a penny. Yay! <laughs> it's funny. The world is coming undone, you know. I mean, it's just it's amazing. And oh, we got 340 out of gold and a penny out of silver. Yay! Fifteen seventy nine, but for you buyers out there, you better be taking advantage of these prices. You have platinum, you hammered platinum down twenty three, which makes sense, two point one two percent. You have palladium down twelve bucks at one down one seventy four percent at six hundred and eighty four. Platinum was a thousand sixty seven. Palladium six hundred and eighty four. Dollar index point zero nine to the up. Side ninety six twenty eight, crude oil took a literal beating today, down four point one seven four seventeen at fifty two seventy six, and um, you're going to hear all kinds of distorted uh, opinions and commentary on why crude oil is down. I think now that you have multiple reasons, maybe I still think the main one is Iran, but. Uh, you know, they're going to blame China because uh, China's stock market is uh, coming undone. Well, you know, it really doesn't make any sense. It really wasn't demand that pushed crude oil up, pushed their stock markets up, uh, things. It was all borrowed money going in there. So, you know, you have the deception of, you know, a great economy. And 
China's economy is based on the world's economy, and it seems pretty much that the world economy is in a recession or close to one. So anyway, I will move on. You have the paper markets today. You have the Dow down 58 points at 17,671. You have, let me double check to make sure that's the current number I was getting it actually it's down um, let me bring this up I'm showing 46 points at 17,683 the NASDAQ was down 17 at 49.91 along with the S&P down 8 2,068 10 year yield drop 0.11 it was up earlier in the day at 2.28% um Euro is holding on at 110, which is a pretty good number for the euro right now, down 0.59. And uh, the European markets, uh, Germany was down one and a half. London was down three quarters of a percent. Japan was uh, down two percent. However, the China, China, Shanghai, they were higher, but they've had, I mean, they've been down 30 percent here in the past uh, little bit of time. So three weeks. So they're bound to have a little bit of a rebound, particularly after this weekend, after they stuffed a lot of money into the markets. So, and again, it's what's supporting that. Certainly not the fundamentals, and we'll talk about that in just a little bit. A lot of things going on. There was we had one economic report came out. I don't even know why I bother because certainly I think a lot of the other information that we have today is a little more interesting, but I'm going to give it to you anyway, because I know a lot of you out there look forward to these numbers. Um, the um, Institute for Supply Management today said that the service index edged up to 56 in June from 55.7 in May. So yes, it does show that service, the services firms are expanding. And uh, the ISM is a trade group of purchasing managers, and it surveys the services fir- firms and uh, it, it covers businesses that uh, employ 90% of workers. It includes retail, construction, um, financial industries, uh, service. I think it includes medical, health care. And um, so that showed uh, it a little bit stronger. But uh, um, you did have um, some weakness in some areas, but uh, that. Not a big pop there. So um, economists are still expecting uh, uh, the annual rate of 2.5% for growth. And um, if they get that, I'm going to eat my hat, Al. (laughs) You don't have a hat. (laughs) I'll get one. Uh (laughs) I'll get a chocolate one. How's that? Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Good idea to keep a spare chocolate hat freezer (laughs) just in case. Just in case. Just in case you say, I'll eat my hat. Yes. Sure enough, you have to. And I'll say that more often. The hat. I'll say Get it more. It? Yeah. Uh-huh. I'll say it more often. All right. Just for the opportunity. I think you'll eat the hat anyway. We'll be, if we Who get, used to say get that? the chocolate hat. I don't know. Whatever it was, it was before my time, Melody. <laughs> it was a commercial. I know we have a listener out there that can email me and let me know. Email me at uh, discount gold and silver at yahoo.com or dgscoins.com. So either or. That was a commercial. I'll eat my hat. So what do you want to talk about first? Can we talk uh, you on the Shanghai? Oh, well, we can we can go into China a little bit, I guess, if that's what you want to do. 
Yeah, let's do that for since I mentioned uh, that over with. All right, China Washington Times reports that China to create a $19 billion fund to stabilize plunging stock market. Now, this is this is just kind of interesting. Sounds like the China U.S. Has, pardon me? Sounds like the U.S. Yeah, it's like that, but it's, it's different in some regards. Um, China has reportedly decided to bar new initial public offerings of stock and create a fund to stabilize its stock market which has been roiled by a wave of sell-offs. 21 Chinese security companies, in a joint statement released Saturday, said they would pledge no less than 120 billion won, which is $19.3 billion, to invest in the Chinese stocks and funds. The securities companies also said they would continue to invest in the market as long as the Shanghai, Shanghai Composite Index the Chinese equivalent of Standard & Poor's 500 remains below 4,500, and it closed today at 3,686, closed on Friday, 3,686. Now, I assume that all 21 of those Chinese securities companies are being forced to invest in the market by the Chinese government. I find it hard to believe, it's not impossible, but I find it hard to believe but on their own, they said, well, we will save, <laughs> we'll save the market by investing $19 billion in it. Now, I may have done that, but I find, that, <clears throat> you know, that averages, that works out to almost a billion dollars per company. Not impossible, I would assume, in China. Um, still, I'll bet the government said, why don't you guys, we have an idea. Why don't you 21 guys go ahead and invest $19 billion? in the plunging stock market to hold it up. Now, in this country, it would be the Federal Reserve that was holding up the market. Over there, it's these 19 security companies. Um, I assume these 21 Chinese security companies are going to lose a lot of money. One or two might even go bankrupt. Perhaps we'll see something like a Lehman moment in China. The Chinese stock market has been in a free fall for three weeks, losing 28% of its value since June 12th. Despite the plunge, the market is up 79% in the last year. All right? So what we're looking at is not cause for panic. Oh, my gosh, it fell down 28%. Yeah, but it went up. It, they imply that it went up over 100% in the last 12 months. Mm -hmm. All right? It's been up over 100%, fell down 28%. Look, this is a correction. This is not a big deal per se. The drop has wiped out several trillion dollars of market value in recent weeks, but the market made several trillion dollars in market value over the course of the last year. Unlike the U.S. and European markets where institutional investors play a major role, the Chinese stock market is dominated by individual investors. Right? Now, this is interesting. Because the state, -owned, according to the article for months, the state-owned media has encouraged ordinary Chinese to load up on shares. Many Chinese official invest, uh, individual investors borrowed heavily to buy stocks. They went into debt. They've been borrowing to buy stocks. Government said, you should buy more stocks. People said, yeah, we should. And they went out and borrowed money so they could borrow more stocks. And that's what drove the market up over 100% in a year's time. But this is... I, I, I mean, what, given the Chinese propensity to gamble, 
Uh, Chinese are at least famous as gamblers. Now, whether that's true characterization or stereotype, I don't know. But run, assuming the stereotype is valid, um, a stock market dominated by individual Chinese is not necessarily a blessing. These guys are gamblers. They're going to jump in there and make things happen in the market that defy reason. Right? For the Chinese, this is like rolling seven when you're playing shooting craps and you roll seven ten times in a row and that's sure you're going to get 11 and probably 12 or 13. They know this because they're gamblers. You know, and, of course, you wind up with a point where you don't get it. I'm going to guess that the 79% rise that's, that's residual in the last 12 months has been fueled by predominance of individual Chinese in the market and the absence of Chinese, they say, uh, Chinese institutions and corporations don't typically pay, play a big role in, in the Chinese markets. Now, I'm no fan of corporations and these major banking institutions and financial institutions. They impress me as frequently being hustlers and con artists, and they're not to be trusted. But they also have staffs of analysts and, and economists who will tell the truth if they're forced to do so. What I'm trying to get at is if there were more corporations, more institutions in the Chinese markets, they would have blown the whistle and warned six months, nine months ago that the market was overpriced and due for a serious correction. And if the corporations and institutions had been there, we probably wouldn't have seen the market go up over 100% a year but we also wouldn't see wouldn't have seen it fall 28% in three weeks. Uh, you would have had people who were trying that we had brains enough to finally said, "Look, this has gone too far." I don't think those individual investors are inclined to think that. I think if they really have that gambling mentality, I think they're just on go, 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 and you wind up you can get into some sort of problem with that. But here's 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 kind of the punchline. China stocks rocket 8% at open after weekend rescue moves. Chinese stocks exploded higher on Monday after Beijing enacted an unprecedented series of policy moves to support the market over the weekend. So whatever China did, I don't know how much of the $19 billion that were pledged were actually invested. But whatever China did, markets fell 28% over a period of three weeks. Now they went up 8% in one day. All you can really say, I suppose, is that the Chinese markets are volatile. The government of China wants the markets to rise. They're willing to support them right now or do what they have to sustain, have to do in order to sustain those markets. And they're, in that regard, they're emulating what we saw in 2007, 2008 with quantitative easing here in the United States to at least indirectly support the markets. It appears that China is also going to support the markets. Do you think that's a good idea, Melody, or should they just let let nature take its course? I think I think if they're going to drop, it, well, I mean, this is like Chinese version of the plunge protection team. I mm-hmm. mean, only ours consists of what six banks, and you know, instead of the, the nineteen and so forth. I mean, if you look at Chinese, at the Chinese markets, and particularly this one, 
I mean, it's been up and down over the years. It would run up, it would fall back, it would run up, and there was always a cap on it. And it was only this last push, this this huge gain this past uh, six months that – so it, it is all done by gambling money. It is all done by people going into debt. And, just, and once they have to start covering their calls and so forth, you know, I mean, you're just going to see it fall more and more. The fundamentals aren't there. I mean, we know China was having a little bit of problems with their economies. And um, so how long are they able to prop these up? Um, I don't know. It, it's, uh, you know, and then when people begin to f- realize that if, it, if there is a slowdown in China's economy, you know, what is that going to do to corporate profits? And uh, so the, this uh, demand for these Chinese stocks isn't backed up by the fundamentals. And uh, so I think that's you know, not unlike ours. I mean, what is ours backed up to 18000 It's all Federal Reserve money. And uh, so there's no fundamentals there to have it at these higher levels. You would think that if we had the biggest expansion in the history of the world prior to 2008, you would think that these markets would have attained these levels at that time, and they didn't. Now they're attaining these high levels when, when all economies are, are getting battered and beaded and you know oil prices are dropping, uh, showing that you know there is a big lack of demand for oil. And you also have China, who's a big uh, uh, user of commodities, and um, so, you know, we had that big drop in oil prices today. Uh, a lot of people will blame Greece and, and the drop in euro, which doesn't even make sense at all. I don't know why they would blame that. But um, is it China's? You know, can can you relate the big drop in oil to China? I'm not so sure you can do that either. Oh, I, a lot of this stuff, they just make up an excuse. The numbers move up, down, or sideways, and then... First, they throw the dart to see what the number is going to be, and then they throw the dart at another board, and that, that produces the excuse. All right? And they are, there's a randomness in all of this. You know, there's an article that we have here that I think, I don't remember if we did it last week or not, but it's the idea that 92%, one guy did a study and calculated that 92% of the successful investors in the market succeed on the basis of dumb luck only. Mm-hmm. Only about 8% is skill, 92% is dumb luck. <laughs> if that's true, it means nobody really knows what's going on. It's like betting at the roulette wheel in Las Vegas. All we know is they spun the wheel, they threw the little ball, it's going to land in a little pocket someplace, and maybe you win, maybe you lose. And if you win, you say, hooray, I'm a hero. And the truth is, <laughs> you know, it's like having a bird dropping, bird droppings on your car. It's just a random event. It didn't really count for anything. Let's take a break. And point behind that, nobody really knows what's going on. Mm-mm. You kind of look at this stuff. And when we have an excuse today, here's why it happened today. What does that have to do with fundamentals? No. What does Greece or any of the rest of this have to do with fundamentals? They are looking for just a day-by-day, moment-by-moment excuse for whatever's happening. And the truth is, it's a certain amount of randomness to it. The fundamentals are long-term. The immediate is short-term and just random. We're going to take a break for some commercial announcements. Melody and I will be back on Financial Survival in just a moment. Please stay tuned.
have a heart condition and emergency rooms and medical doctors are not an option, you need our emergency heart attack kit. Five concentrated liquid formulas enter the system in 60 seconds to protect your heart muscle, strengthen heartbeat, increase circulation, relieve pain, and make breathing easier. When seconds count, you want all the help you can get with our emergency heart attack kit. Easy to use and portable in a one-pound compact kit for your purse, briefcase, or car. Call Apothecary Herbs now for your emergency heart attack kit toll-free, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the 3 wsthepowerherbscom Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it, nations have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. American Voice Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. Folks, I'm Alfred Adesk here with Melody Cedarstrom on Financial Survival, brought to you by Discount Gold and Silver at 1-800-375-4188. What's next, Melody? Well, Greece. Really Greece? interesting. Something Greece. happening in Greece? Greece. Really? Yeah. Well, all right. Here's the morning after. Greeks united, proud of their defiance. This is in the Associated Press. Um, and they tell the story of Nikki Zachary, closed her family's shoe store just a few hours after opening it on Monday. A few customers who had strolled in hadn't bought a thing, but she was not discouraged. She thinks a landmark no vote in a nationwide referendum Sunday has bonded Greeks together. We can live with very little and we can live through difficult situations, said Zachary. I think after the referendum, the Greek people are united in this situation. Across the country, Greek banks remained closed, access to cash was severely limited, and it was far from clear when or if a fresh bailout deal 
with the international creditors could be reached for this deeply indebted nation. Now, that just kind of cracks me up. Far from clear when or if a fresh bailout deal. I don't understand how they're going to get another bailout deal. Anyone with an IQ over 90 knows Greece is not going to pay for current bailout deals, won't pay the next bailout deal. Why would anyone lend more money to Greece? Then they may do it. I'm not saying they won't, but why would a rational person lend more money to Greece? If you know they already can't pay the bills they got, why lend them more? It's like giving money to a crack addict. Right? Might be a nice person, the rest of that sort of thing, except for the crack addiction, but the crack addiction is there. Doesn't make much sense, but it does conclude. It says, yet there was pride and defiance in Athens after a lopsided victory for those who want the Greek government to reject the man's of European creditors for more austerity, including cuts to pensions. Greeks know full well that they are whisper close to financial ruin. Many feel as at least at, that they have at least reclaimed their dignity. What do you think, Melody? Are they have they reclaimed their dignity? Well, I'm not here to say whether they have or whether they haven't. I mean, if they feel that they How much did. Is dignity selling for per pound right now? Does mm, it I don't know. Is that on the commodity you market? Know, and, and until, you know, I'm not going to judge how the Greeks feel or try to, you know, figure out how they, you know, look or view their situation that they're in. I mean, they certainly have become united um, in, in a strong manner. Uh, I think no matter whether it's good for them or not, I, I think that's a positive I agree uh, with to that. get a country that is so united together. So I would love to see this country united together by that degree. <laughs> and uh, but uh, so, you know, in, in that respect, yeah, I, I've uh, they they've gone. They went to a direction that can significantly hurt them. And um, now we still don't know how this is going to play out. Um, we have a new um, new finance minister in there, and uh, so, you know, he might be able to work something different, but, uh, you know, they they might be able to, 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 to pull this off. cash out of a rock. They might be able to pull this off. You know, the reality is this. They, you know, everybody gets this. This is just like going out and getting drunk. You have a big time. Friday night, you know, you're out there, um, you're bombed and intoxicated and you think you can take on the world. And come Saturday, you find yourself, it's debatable whether you can even get yourself out of bed. Uh, It's kind of like that. When you borrowed all that money, they, they had to know they couldn't repay it. It was an irresistible opportunity. If someone came up and offered to lend me a billion dollars, I'd probably be dumb enough to take the loan um, and just... <laughs> These people voted no, knowing that they could lose everything that they have in the bank. Now, I've heard reports where, you know, the guy who gets up and goes to work uh, that doesn't have a mortgage or anything like that, they say he won't be affected by much. But when you have home mortgages that are priced in euros, um, they're going to be paying a lot more if they have their drachma reinstated. Um, you know, they're, you know, so those, you know, people who, you know, the middle class, if they have such a a thing in, in Greece, uh, if they have a middle class, uh, they certainly will be hurt the most, but they did vote no 
knowing that the other banks might not open for a long time and they might not have any money there when they get there. Um, We've got an A. It's because the banks are the next target, essentially. And the reason is because, here's an article from The Street, it says, Grace's banks are on the brink as European Central Bank molds the next move. European Central Bank, even though they haven't been able to cut a deal with the government of Greece for a bailout, that didn't happen, but nevertheless, the European Central Bank has been sending money to Greek banks. And the reason is because, in my opinion, because of fractional reserve banking. If I go into a Greek bank and I deposit, say, 100 drachmas or 100 euros in there, the bank is not going to hold more than 10%, and they might hold as little as 5% in the bank and lend out the other 90 95% of that money. Now, they understand statistically that if they do that for me and for Melody and for everyone listening to the program, they understand that statistically no more than 3-4% come in on any given day and want to destroy and want to withdraw all their money, and therefore if they keep a 5% in the vault, they're good. But if there are difficult times and the depositors want, they say, uh-oh, I'm scared, I've got to get all my money out of the bank, we're going to have a bank run. And because there's only maybe 5% in Europe, they can, uh, it may be as little as 5%. It's somewhere between 5 and 10% in the bank. If everybody comes in, if even 10% of the people come in and they want their entire deposits out of the bank, it may be enough to, the bank says, golly, we don't have the money. We're insolvent. I don't know how the law reads over in, over in uh, Greece, but in the United States, if a bank can't deliver on its, on its deposits, it is typically viewed as insolvent. And it may be permanently closed or sold off to another institution. Right? Bad thing. That's why they are afraid of these runs on the bank. And the people of Greece, they say, I want my money, I want my money, because they're afraid something's going to happen to the bank. And, of course, if they all try to get their money out of the bank, the bank won't have the money. Can't, because they've been doing fractional banking, um, fractional reserve banking. So what do the banks do? They close down. Why? They close down, and they also institute currency controls, where right now you can't withdraw more than 60 euros per day from banks. Go to your ATM machine, you can get $60 or 60 euros per day, which probably translates into something like $70, $75 a day, and that's all you can withdraw. Well, the banks are doing this to prevent the people from making a run on the bank and proving the bank is insolvent. That's why they've closed their doors. They've closed their doors for now until the people cool out a little bit and they don't all run on the bank. And then the bank can kind of open the doors again and start doing business. Same thing with the restrictions, 60 euros per day. Right? They are trying to prevent a run on the bank because, thanks to fractional reserve banking, they know there's not more than 10% in the bank uh, uh, as compared to the deposits. Now, that would be normally what we might expect over there, and I don't know what the real numbers are. But there's perhaps 10%. Knowing that the Greeks might try to do a run on the bank, the European Central Bank has been sending currency to the Greek banks. 
so they can shore up their however much money they have in the vault, where instead of having just 10%, maybe the European Central Bank is sending them enough extra cash where they have 15% or 20% or 25%. Right? The reason being is if they have enough in the vault, then if everybody comes in, or not everybody, but if a significant percentage comes in, it won't be enough to push the vault, the bank, into insolvency and apparent default. I don't know if that makes much sense to you, Melody, but the banks, they're the ones that are next online. And if they go down, then there's a problem. So what they're doing right now, currency controls, closing the banks, they're just preventing bankrupt. That's what they're doing. And protecting the fractional, you know, banking, fractional reserve banking system. And uh, so we'll watch and see. Okay. Hmm. I think we have a caller. We do? We do. Anybody? We did. No? I'm not so sure. Some guy, by, <laughs> some guy by the name of Jim. Where's he from? Um, down in the boonies. West Virginia. Hi, Jim. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Actually, I'm from my parents, but they won't admit to it. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, little information for the people who are on the ground, so to speak, in Greece. Uh, over the weekend, I've spoken several times with uh, somebody who's spoken with several people in Greece. The latest was that they were down to 20 euros per day. It's a lot worse than you think. Because it doesn't matter if you have a family of four or you're feeding your own mouth. Yeah, also, the wholesalers, account. huh? It's per bank account. That's what it comes down to. If you got 20 people but one bank account, you get whatever it is that they fixed for the day. As I um, said, it's it's real dang bad. But there's a bright spot in this thing too. The wholesalers are saying, "Well, if there's no money, we're not going to ship you more goods because we know the money ain't going to be there to pay us." So the wholesalers, uh, groceries or whatever, uh-uh, they're back. They are they are refusing yeah. to uh, sell to the wholesalers. There is a huge shakeout going on. Also, yeah. the Greek people know beyond every shadow of a doubt that it was the European Central Bank that shut their banks down, not their government. Their resolve is actually greater now than it was during the referendum because they now see the European Central Bank is trying to just destroy them. And also, here's the good point. The rest of Europe is looking at the, what they're doing to Greece and thinking, oh, European Central Bank, that's who you really, really are. Yeah. And what this boils down to, I think, this is just my opinion, is that the European Central Bank starts stuffing euros into the, the banks which are in Greece it's so they won't look so bad. They'll say, oh, well, uh, we didn't work a deal, but the poor Greek people, we're going to help them. Now, it is true, two batches of greedy people bumped into each other to create this mess, the Greeks and the European Central Bank. But right now, there is mud all over, well, it isn't even mud, it's something else, all over the face of the European Central Bank. And all of Europe is watching very, very carefully. And this is going to turn hearts and minds so far away from the European Central Bank that there is going to come crashing down. But that's the latest from on the street in Greece. Now, if they jacked it back up to 60 euros, I'm not aware of it, but it is real bad. It's just a report that I have in the article from today, the street. They said 60. I don't know. You know, I can't tell you what it is. I'm sure it's, 
it can vary from day to day and maybe hour to hour. From bank to I bank. think you're right. Yeah. yeah. So I think, it I think depends on how desperate they are. I think you're right because they're sitting there saying, ooh, how much does this particular bank have or that particular bank? But the people of Greece know beyond all shadow of a doubt that they're not blaming the government for the fact that the banks are shutting down. All yeah. attention is focused on the banksters, not the politicians. Praise yeah. God. That's all I have for you guys, okay? All right, Jim. Appreciate I, the information. I think Portugal is the next one that's up to where they either have elections. So uh, I guess they are. everyone is watching very closely with what mm-hmm. happens with Greece because, uh, you know, those politicians, you know, they get the, the same batch of uh, politicians in there that Greece voted in, and, uh, you know, they're going to have the same problems. And, you know, it certainly can go from country to country because none of them can pay their debts. All of them are overly indebted, and so are we. Mm-hmm. We're in the same boat as they are, or maybe if we're not in the same one. <laughs> we're in another one that's in the same, headed in the same direction, and they're just, you know, we're we're a little bit behind them. But we're in the same kind of situation. And another, uh, you know, we, we, we talk about Greece and the connection to our banks with Greece and what's going to happen, the contagion. Um, but I was reading earlier today that there's actually our banks, our U.S. banks, actually have more exposure to China with what's going on over there with their stock markets than possibly that uh, uh, they would face uh, with Greece. So, I mean, they certainly had a lot of years to, uh, you know, do a lot of damage control with Greece, uh, expecting this type of uh, uh, an outcome, but uh, certainly China. Um, so, uh, again, distractions, you never know when, when these markets and everything are so rigged. The big question is, uh, you know, what are people going to do with their money? I mean, everywhere they turn to, you have places that, uh, you know, there's there's some sort of impending doom, uh, certainly a possibility. Where do you go? And, uh, well, I know where they should go. They certainly should go to gold, and I think this is what you will see in the very near future. They're not going to gold yet, but I'll guarantee you in the near future. They're going to cash. That's what they're going to. And when they see... And when they see that cash turn worthless, you know, they will be, you know, it was an immediate reaction to get cash. Let them think a little bit. Let them think and and start to understand how risky even that cash that they're holding will become. And that the the possibility of that going to zero, they will be putting it into gold and taking the real money uh, that's available to them. So um, this is a great time to be buying gold and silver at these levels. Yep. And, and thank your lucky stars that it is at these prices. We complain and, and we know how manipulated it is and we like to see it take off. But once it takes off, folks, hold under your hats because uh, that means things all around you. You know, we talked, I think we talked about this when Greg Hunter was on the program. What you will see with 5,000 gold, it isn't going to be pleasant. So we might want 5,000 gold and we're going to be a little more protected than those who don't have gold at 5,000 gold but it will be a very nasty world at Gold 5000. Let's take a break on that for a couple more commercials, and Melody and I will be back in just a moment. Please stay tuned to Financial Survival.
job stress, financial obligations, or relationship problems have you feeling stressed out? When life is too much to handle, use Apothecary Herbs Emotional Stress Formula. Feel calm and more in control with herbs especially combined to provide the organic nutrition your system needs to help you cope. Complete instructions for maximum benefit and a money-back guarantee. You've waited long enough. Call Apothecary Herbs now. Toll-free, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the 3 wsthepowerherbscom Food prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Hi, folks. I'm Alfred Addis here with Melody Cedarstrom on financial survival, and we've been talking about the Greek debt crisis. Uh, <laughs> how many months now, Melody? <laughs> you think we would have resolved it by now, or they would have resolved it by now, but no. This apparently... It's this just getting fun of, now. <laughs> it's just going to go on and on and on. But there, but this is, you know, we, you can you can be tired of it, you can be bored by it, but this is still an important story. Yes, it is. Because we live in a world that has debt-based monetary systems. All of the fiat currencies are debt-based. And what we're seeing here, we talked, we had one report from Greece where they said they're proud of themselves. They're regaining a certain amount of dignity, and they know they're going to go through a difficult time. And they know there's a price to be paid here, but at the same time, they are kind of united and they are feeling able to resist what they think of as an unfair and onerous debt, right? And they think they can, they can write this off and they can weather the storm and they can survive. We'll watch and see. I'm inclined to agree that if nobody else leans on them, I think they can. I think, I think we're going to see an Iceland effect here, although it might take 18, 24 months to see Greece get back on its feet, but I think they will. And at the end of that 18, 20, or 24 months, if they do get back on their feet, they're going to do so without carrying. I think, I think their total debt is. I'm not sure if it's 750 billion or not, Melody. Do you know? Do you recall? It's somewhere around there. Well, the, and they're going to get back on their feet. It's like, 
look, if I owed a $750 uh, billion or million dollars or whatever, and I declared bankruptcy, I get back on my feet and I don't have that debt hanging over my head. The truth is I'd be better off. I'm, it'd be a difficult time. I might lose my house and the car and the boat and the rest of that sort of thing in the initial bankruptcy. But on the other hand, you add up the value of the house and the value of the car and the value of the boat, and it doesn't come to $750 million. And if I've written off that $750 million, yeah, I lost my house and car and boat and the rest of that sort of thing, but I'm now in position to maybe start making some profit and some, some progress and moving into prosperity. We'll watch and see what happens, but... The big question is not really about Greece. The big question is about in a world where we have a debt-based currency, in a world where virtually everyone is a debtor, carrying more debt than most of us can, can repay, what sort of example is Greece going to set for the world? How many other nations like Portugal, for example, or Spain or Ireland, Puerto Rico are going to say, yeah, we're going to regain our dignity, too, and we're not paying the debt. How many will be inspired by Greece's example? How many private individuals who are indebted for one thing or another, say a mortgage, are going to say, look, if the Greeks don't, the Greeks don't have to pay their debt, I don't think I should have to either. The point is, and I'm not making a recommendation this should happen, but I am saying that the world is so indebted that inevitably we are going to see a moment when a significant number of debtors simply stand up and say, look, we don't have the money. We can't pay it. We're not going to pay it. <laughs> Too bad for you. It's going to happen. It's a mathematical certainty. Rather, whether this is the moment when it's going to happen remains to be seen. But the debt is too great to be paid. And I've said for years, what can't be paid won't be paid. When we get to that moment when the world finally realizes, look, we can't pay the debt, that's it, we quit. Right? We're going to see some real shakeouts. I mean, it's going to be dangerous. And if we don't get it now, all right, fine. Maybe we don't get it for another year or two years or five years. I don't know when it's going to happen. But it is going to happen. Sooner or later, a nation is going to be so deep in debt that it finally just has to say, we're out of here, and other nations will follow, and individuals will follow, and the debt-based monetary system will collapse. And if you're around at that time, and you have your currency, you've saved your wealth in the form of cash in hand, well, the system goes down, your cash is going to be worthless. If you saved it gold in hand, that's another story. You're going to have an opportunity to get through that worst-case scenario. So we'll watch and see. What we're seeing in Greece, however, maybe it can be contained. Maybe it will go contagious and spread to other countries. Maybe it'll, maybe it'll precipitate a debtor's revolt around the world. Maybe not. I don't know. But that's the danger to my mind. And if it happens, what are you going to do with all that debt, Melody? What's going to happen to all the correlative debt interest in, in, instruments, the, the, uh, the bonds and the stocks that are nothing but debt instruments? What's going to happen when people say, that's it, I can't pay? The derivatives, 
the derivatives. All of a sudden, it all becomes worthless. There's yes. people walking around here that's strutting, and they say, hey, I'm a rich man. I got a bunch of paper debt instruments. You're going to find out you got nothing but paper, and it's not going to be fun. You know? We have a we had one of the we had a question in the chat room. We were talking about the probability, the, the reason the banks had to be protected in Greece against bank runs. And one of the one of the listening sent a question into the chat room and said, "What about depositors insurance?" <laughs> Which just kind of makes me laugh. We don't have enough depositors insurance in this country to cover more than a couple of banks. All right. If we had, I don't know, three, four, five banks, semi, semi significant banks, it'd wipe out the whole depositors insurance fund. Huh? Now, the question from the chat room apparently is based on the supposition that there are, the, they have depositors insurance in Greece. Well, maybe they do and maybe they don't. But if it's anything like depositors insurance in this country, it means if one or two small banks and a lemonade stand go out of business in Greece, they're out of depositors insurance. There won't be enough. Depositors insurance will work if all you have to deal with is one bank or two banks simultaneously being mismanaged and becoming insolvent. Okay, depositors insurance will work for that. But there's not enough depositors insurance to deal with a systemic problem. It just isn't going to happen. If they got depositors insurance, I'd say that it's been exhausted. Uh, it's more likely to work on the bail-in of these banks than, any, than, uh, than helping people get their money out of the bank. But one other point. So, so for the depositors insurance... I don't know what the situation is in Greece, but I can't imagine that there's any depositors insurance sufficient to deal with what may be coming. Uh, the best insurance these banks have is to maintain a positive relationship with the IMF or the European Central Bank, where they keep funneling extra dollars into the banks in order to prevent a run that would really that would expose the banks as insolvent. Now you got trouble. If they if there's a big enough run on any one of these banks where they are they've exhausted however much is in the vault, that's when the trouble really begins in my opinion. Right now you got you have inconvenience. When the banks go belly up, now you got trouble. Big trouble. So Greece is now dependent on what will the European Central Bank do? What will the International Monetary Fund do? Not relative to bailing Greece out, but to supporting the Greek banks. And if they pull the plugs on the banks, it's going to get ugly in Greece. I mean, they're going to have a very difficult time you know, for I don't know how long, but uh, pull the plug on the banks. My guess is they'll have a brutal period Three months, six months, something like that. It'll have a difficult period for 18 months, two years, then we'll see. So, Melody, do you have all of your do you have all your paper debt instruments stored in the safety deposit box down at your bank? Oh, certainly. Uh huh. Certainly. 
Um, let's see, how much time do we have left? Yeah. You know, it's uh, kind of yeah. interesting again to, to follow. You know, Trump reminds me of Cyprus <laughs> to some degree. and uh, But he certainly has had the heat. And, you know, he comes out and he says that both sides need to grow up and put America's interests first. You know, and, and he's absolutely correct. I mean, he's gotten so much heat from, you know, what he said about the illegal aliens and, and uh, what he said about, uh, you know, his contracts. Uh, even New York is looking to, to see if, you know, they can't uh, you know, do something with his contracts and so forth. And, and it's amazing how they target one person yep. to the degree that they have. Yeah. And, uh, and Trump at least is in a position to fight back. It's not just where he's in a position to fight back, but he doesn't just roll over. No. All right, a lot of people, you give them that same sort of a, they would become apologetic or compromising, whatever. (laughs) And Trump is just saying, hey, I don't have to listen to you guys. You know, and and I admire him for that. And I'm sure the rest of the country does, too. This guy is not trying to be politically correct. I'm not saying that I agree with everything Trump does, says, or whatever, and I'm sure everyone, most of the people listening, don't agree with everything he does either. But he's giving us he's giving us an opportunity to vote for a new kind of politician, at least in terms of, you know, recent times in this country. Got somebody like give him hell, Harry Truman. All right, and just going to hey, the buck stops here, and he isn't afraid if the buck stops here. Go ahead, bring the buck. I'll deal with it. Huh? Uh, well, it is easy to take that uh, position when you do have millions in the bank and you well, can fight back with lawsuits. So, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, so, yes, uh, it's uh, it but is good. to you know, cause you're, folded up under the stress. Yeah. I think most of them would have been fumbling for words and and uh, the stress would have it would have been it's a lot for any man to bear. They would apologize. Feed off of it. He seems to feed off of it. He is empowered by the stress. He's not not hurting him. Well, other politicians would have apologized, changed their stance, and the media would have moved on to something else. But the way the media has used this and has attacked him, it goes to show you that they're they think he is a danger of oh, yeah. becoming a very important person in this election. Yep. And uh, so I think this is uh, a little bit even different than from the regular politicians because it shows you the media, and you know the media is owned by the elite, yep. and uh, they don't want someone That's right. like Donald Trump. And neither do some of the other Republican candidates because Trump has come forward, and he's just saying, look, I want to do something about the illegal aliens. Now, most of the other candidates are just trying to pussyfoot around this thing because, oh, my gosh, we don't want to offend the Mexican voters. And well, right? and he's just saying, I don't care. I've got to do something about the illegal aliens. And a lot of Americans says, yeah, yeah, we need to do something about the illegal aliens. And, uh, Mr. and the Republican Party, by Trump raising this issue and people trying to throw it back on him, and he's just shedding it like water off a duck's back and getting bigger— He's making this an issue for every candidate who's running in the Republican primary. So now they're going to have to deal with it and see how many intelligent statements we can get out of them and how many say something completely stupid in a moment of weakness. I mean, he's going to make 
he's going to thin the field. But my question now is, is he using this because he knows he, he wouldn't be elected without the Latin vote? I mean, is, is that part I don't of the... Think it's critical. So can it, he, is, is, is that vote critical? I don't think it is the Republican Party. I know the Republican Party would like to make inroads into the Hispanic community. What are the probabilities that the Hispanic community will significantly vote Republican? I mean, it's like... No, but, do, does, but do they need that percentage... But do they need a percentage of that vote to get elected, regardless? Well, I don't know. Do they need a percentage of the Democrat, into the independents, and our Democrats who are also fed up with the illegal aliens? I mean... This is a situation the Hispanics don't exist all by themselves. There's other people out there that are just saying, hey, listen, I've had enough. I'm a Democrat, but I've had enough of the illegal aliens. This guy, Trump, I hate to vote for a Republican, but this guy says he's going to do something. I mean, is he going to lose Hispanic votes? Yeah, but probably not that many. How many is he going to gain from Democrats and independents? Maybe a lot more. We'll watch and see. Oh, we're down. Uh, we're out of time, Melody. So we will watch and see, and we'll report more tomorrow on financial survival. I'm Alfred Addis here with Melody Cedarstrom. We will be back tomorrow. In the meantime, the good Lord bless you, me, Melody, and Frank, the producer. Bye. all day to pay the bills I have to pay. Ain't it sad? Still, there never seems to be a single penny left for me. That's too bad. In my dreams, I have a plan. If I got me a wealthy man, I wouldn't have to work at all. I'd fool around and have a fall. Radio Network is heard on Galaxy 19 at 97 degrees west, transponder 23, frequency 12115, audio PID 2595. AVR is heard on the left side audio channel, and AVR2 is heard on the right side audio channel. Remember, both AVR and AVR2 are on Galaxy 19. Same network, double the choices. what an expert says about distilled water. If you decide on bottled water, make sure it's distilled. However, in the long run, you'll save money if you clean your water at home. It's more convenient than hauling gallon jugs from the store. The gold standard for purifying your water is a system that distills your water and filters it. You have the comfort of knowing there is no chlorine, fluoride, bacteria, viruses, pesticides or lead you get nothing but h2o maximum health dr robert d willis jr md order your tabletop water distiller for 139.99 post paid it comes with everything you need to get pure distilled water go to superstore.theamericanvoice.com that's 
Superstore.TheAmericanVoice.com. Order now. Can your family survive a food shortage lasting two weeks, six months, or maybe longer? Sound far-fetched? We live in precarious times. There is an ever-increasing possibility of food shortages caused by terrorist attacks, natural disasters, truck strikes, or monetary collapse. You owe it to yourself and family to prepare, and you can by getting a supply of our long-storing, freeze-dried, dehydrated foods. Our foods are time-tested to store for decades, require a minimum of time and energy to prepare while maintaining superior nutritional value, freshness, and taste. Our foods were designed for the space program and are in constant use today by our own nuclear submarine service. Contact the Freeze Dry Guy today at Freeze Dry Guy at Lancet.com. That's Freeze Dry Guy at L-A-N-S-E-T.com or call 530-265-8333. 530-265-8333. And let them know you heard it on American Voice Radio. What makes deep sea salt from France so different? Up from the ocean depths in the south of France flow undersea rivers of pristine sea water. At high tide, the prepared salt ponds are filled with this water. Over spring and summer, processed only by ocean breezes and sunshine, the brine thickens and salt crystals float to the top. These are harvested with nets and deposited on wooden drainage flats to dry. The salt is then gathered up, packaged, and shipped around the world. This salt is much more than a box of lifeless sodium chloride. Soldiers worth their salt were once paid with this valuable commodity. It contains 78 to 84 balancing elements. This is living salt, and once you have tasted it, you will never go back to anything else. I've seen this salt in gourmet shops for $30 a pound. Get it now at 4spectrum.us for under $8 a pound. Order 10 pounds and enter the coupon code AVRSALT at checkout and save $20. Ships free to your door or call 800-581-8906. Order today. Fighting soldiers from the sky Fearless men who jump and die Men who mean just what they say The brave men of the Green Beret Well, welcome everybody. Moon Day. You're at the right place at the right time. American Voice Radio. Freedom Call. I'm your host. My name is Bo Greitz. I want to say thank you to all the loyal listeners out there. Carol Stewart, almost uh, every day, has got a radio or computer tuned in and picks up American Voice Radio. Carol is the better half of uh, a master sergeant in special forces that I've been privileged to serve with both in the uh, Vietnam uh, era during the war and in Panama. And uh, they remain uh, two of my very best friends on this earth. So thank you. I want to thank you people out there in Nebraska that are going through such a heat wave. The national weather says that There are 15 states that have been caught up uh, in this cycle of weird weather, and now it is record heat, which means more than 105 degrees 
And when you factor in the humidity, uh, it gets up there to uh, a high three digits. Nebraska, Kansas, Oklahoma, Texas. You just run right straight from the Mexican border north and uh, doesn't stop until it gets uh, to the South Dakota line. Uh, Ten other states, Missouri, we're starting to go east now, Arkansas, Louisiana, Illinois, and Indiana. That covers uh, what we call the Midwest, and uh, then a little bit uh, further, Ohio, Kentucky, Tennessee, Alabama, and Mississippi. Uh, I've mentioned this to you, and I mention it again. Uh, First of all, there is documented, irrefutable proof that uh, the government does things that it knows Congress would not approve of, you would not approve of, because it's harmful to your health, but they do it anyway. Uh, in the interest, they say, of national defense. One thing that is irrefutably true, Dugway Proving Grounds admitted to it. It was printed and documented uh, in the Utah, Salt Lake City area newspapers. And that was uh, what uh, Friday, our owner-operator of American Voice Radio, Frank Steffen, said to me, wow, you know, the skies out here are uh, just a beautiful blue, and usually they're covered uh, with these chemtrails. Well, uh, some people, if you talk to a lot of pilots, they sort of chuckle. All the... uh, the liberal people basically uh, will all laugh and look at you and shake their heads because you're considered a nut if you talk about uh, chemtrails, meaning that the aircraft that are flying overhead are not uh, just leaving exhaust trails from hot engine uh, air being blown into sky with some humidity, so immediately uh, it uh, turns to clouds. It hits the dew point. And uh, so they think it's nothing more than a natural physical phenomenon. But at Dugway Proving Grounds, they said no, because uh, they got caught. Said we actually targeted the 40 states east of the Rocky Mountains for what is called Operation LAC, Large Area Coverage, L-A-C, and said we outfitted military jets flying at high altitudes that would disperse cadmium sulfide which if you don't have to be a chemist, you can look it up on your internet. Cadmium sulfide is poisonous. 
So they sprayed it in chemtrails from all 40 states west of the Rocky Mountains. I'm not west, but east of the Rocky Mountains. You notice Utah left themselves out. Now, the purpose was to see uh, if the enemy were to use high-altitude military aircraft or civilian airplanes to disperse a biological uh, substance, a weapon, what would the effect be? How would the air currents be? Now, how can they measure cadmium sulfide? Well, the Navy did this in off the coast of San Francisco and Oakland. They admitted it. And what uh, they were doing is seeing if the enemy were to release uh, in small particle or gaseous forms a a biological weapon or a chemical weapon, uh, what could be expected reference a a ship offshore? And uh, people got flu-like symptoms. So the Navy could measure... Uh, the degree of people who are becoming ill. Now, do some of these people becoming ill die? Probably. Is cadmium sulfide? I mean, I feel like uh, an insurance company uh, ad on TV. Is cadmium sulfide poisonous? Taken in concentration, will it kill you? Can you suppose the government measure an effect of dropium dropping through uh, chemtrails, cadmium sulfide, uh, by the uh, percentage of people who come up with a mysterious illness? Well, I reckon they did it. Now, another thing that is irrefutable. Back when Gorbachev uh, was the head of the Soviet Union, uh, he came up uh, with... uh, the buzzwords, parastryka and glasnost. Now, this was uh, the buzzwords that got him the Nobel Peace Prize. And uh, he took down the wall. Oh, my goodness, uh, communism was dead. At least we forget Red China, Korea, uh, Southeast Asia, just to name a few who claim to be communist countries. Anyway, Russia and the USSR did uh, split into its many parts, which added uh, to the number of uh, United Nations considerably. Now, part of this, at the time of Ronald Reagan... Part of this was an agreement that the United States and the Soviet Union, or what would become uh, its individual recognized states, would not use weather control as a means to conduct 
warfare anywhere on the globe. We weren't going, we had an ability to control weather, and we promised, and they promised, not to use it. Now, I just ask you, when you look at the interesting phenomenon that has been uh, featured in the news and giving them plenty to talk about, in America, around the world, do you suppose that there could be, and what is the purpose? Could it be to accelerate uh, world economic uh, damage uh, so severe that the world might have to reorganize to support itself? I mean, we you know about Greece. Italy now is causing the stock market to tank because there's concerns about Italy. We know about the United States. By the 21st of August, we will have to default unless Congress can come to grips with the administration and they can have something that they will agree upon where they can raise the debt ceiling so that America will be able to pay 100%, even though our government will still be able, as we stand today, it doesn't just quit. We're able to support 70% of all the Obama programs, all the current government programs ongoing. So it's the 30% that we wouldn't uh, be able to pay. Now, for example, uh, it has not been officially announced. It hasn't happened yet. But in Pakistan, there's unrest because America has not paid Pakistan the $800 million militarily that uh, the United States offers Pakistan uh, for their uh, support in our war against uh, terrorism. Do you know, uh, let me remind you, CIA says there may be 50 al-Qaeda in Afghanistan and that there could be as high as 2,000 members of the Taliban. All right, that's the enemy. We pay Pakistan. This doesn't count Afghanistan. I gave you the figures for Afghanistan on Friday. We pay Pakistan $800 million just to uh, not get in our way, allow us to use uh, bases in Pakistan so that we can more effectively orchestrate a war in Afghanistan. Everybody agrees that al-Qaeda, one, bin Laden is dead. Secondly, we have a ton of intelligence taken from the bin Laden cache uh, there in his compound just across the street from their West Point military academy uh, near 
uh, Islamabad, you know, which is the capital. He was there uh, for 10 years. And we uh, were able to confiscate, uh, again, a ton of information on his organization. So we know al-Qaeda has moved uh, to Yemen. And uh, you'd think that 300,000 Afghans would be able to handle, plus 100,000 contractors that uh, America doesn't uh, admit to, because even though they're doing military jobs and they're being paid about twice what the military makes, uh, you, the government doesn't have to count them. So these, these uh, the contractors, the 100,000, uh, they are invisible to the American people. That's who the government is hiding them from. You need to hear these things because in total, you need to take notes on them. You pass this information on. It's all verified to help your elected representative and your two senators. Help them to make the right decisions because right now America is treading in dangerous waters. And it appears when you take a look at things like uh, this heat wave, uh, before that it was all floods or it was drought. Then tornadoes in much higher uh, volumes than has ever been seen. And now heat. And so is somebody fooling around the purpose being to uh, make things worse, to accelerate uh, what, uh, to give Obama the opportunity to say, you know, the only way we can make it, there's uh, Hillary's uh, book, It Takes a Village, and uh, that means a village of nations. We've got to pitch in just like the EU. Uh, we're going to form uh, the uh, Americas. Uh, and we already have the EU, and uh, we're going to form uh, the Asian, and uh, we will uh, put that under a world court, world government, open trade. We're going to uh, kickstart this whole thing worldwide. Oh, boy. And every nation will have uh, representatives. Well, that's what happens in the end. We are just uh, kind of, it's like watching hail bop go by. Uh, some people want to get a ride on hail bop. They think they do this by committing suicide. In this case, we just happen to be, and it's hard when you are part of something, very often you're too close to recognize it. Now, 50 years from now, people look back and say, what's wrong with those people? Uh, they're in uh, 28, 29, uh, 2030, uh, you know, who just couldn't see this. It was right in front of their face. Yeah, it is. Now, I want to... Uh, so one is, if we're not going to pay, and I think it's a good thing, we don't pay Pakistan $800 million. 
Uh, and we are waiting uh, sort of uh, uneasily for Iraq to make a decision. Iraq does, doesn't have a real government. Iraq, for example, doesn't have a defense minister. Can you imagine that? I mean, the country has, we built the world's largest embassy. Remember that? Uh, it's like 207 acres. I don't know what it's being used for. Maybe it's a giant uh, Kmart. Who knows? Or probably a Sam's Club or Walmart. Anyway, they don't have a defense minister. They don't have a, a regular organized government. So uh, we are waiting for Iraq to make up its mind about asking us to stay uh, beyond the end of this year. We are due out of Iraq the end of this year. Ron Paul has shown us in black and white, if we bring the Americans home that are right now apparently being used uh, like the House of Hess and the House of Hanover uh, by the British. Seems like wherever the British are and they have interest, they have America uh, in mega military, boots on the ground, etc., and at all. Just, I mean, face it. And it's not, uh, I wanted uh, Kate and William to come to America so people could see this young royal couple, but they have enamored uh, Holly Weird and anyone that went there and uh, got to see them. Now uh, they were there over the weekend. Now they're uh, back in Great Britain. But we have one king that was proclaimed uh, during the fight for American independence. And that one king is King Jesus. And so uh, we may respect the Queen of England, and we've seen now that Canada actually has a sovereign. And they all recognize William will be the king of Canada uh, when he takes over the throne uh, once the queen moves on. So uh, Ron Paul says uh, there's not a problem uh, with taking care of uh, the missing 30% uh, of our bankroll. We bring the Americans home. We stop paying uh, these people, and we balance our budget. Well, the rule, what we've agreed to, is our troops come home from Iraq by the end of the year. Now, we are waiting. It's sort of like uh, relatives that visit and that the family being visited doesn't want them there. But uh, maybe uh, the visitors uh, are well-to-do, and so the Iraq is uh, rather hesitant to tell the United States, please get out of here. Like the plan says, 
you know, let the last American uh, be on a boat or an aircraft uh, come the end of this year. Well, we're also supposed to uh, be, we've fought a war that uh, in actual uh, intensity of warfare is longer than Vietnam. We fought our longest war over there in Afghanistan. And Afghanistan uh, is providing 93% of the world's heroin. You know, it doesn't, this doesn't look good. And it's the British that say we must win in Afghanistan. So, uh, the point. The talks have broken down between the White House and the administration. Obama says that he is willing to take a lot of heat uh, from uh, his rep- uh, Democrats in order to uh, reach a negotiation with the Republicans. And he says that he's going to uh, continue to meet with them and basically uh, uh, he's uh, willing, uh, he says, to do what they want to do Remember, he said he would cut his budget by three or four million. Now, the Republicans say that they want 2.4 trillion in savings over the next 10 years. And uh, Obama says the Republicans are playing, quote, small ball. So it goes on. One thing that both the Congress, both parties, Republican and Democrat, and the White House both say they do not want America to uh, default in any of our programs. And so uh, there must be uh, an agreement that will come up uh, in this next uh, week. It needs to be uh, with the Congress by the 21st so that they can uh, pass it through the House and the Senate and get it back to the administration by uh, the 2nd of August, which is the drop-dead date. And again, it's not uh, for all of the government. 70% of the government uh, will be paid. It's 30%. And so Obama doesn't tell you this. But it's needful that you know this. All right, now, everybody kind of consider what we have said. We'll be coming back with you here in just a few minutes. We're going to take a short break. And as we do... 1,658 Americans killed in Afghanistan, 4,471 killed. June was the largest month for casualties. So it's getting worse, not better. Stay with me.
Can your family survive a food shortage lasting two weeks, six months, or maybe longer? Sound far-fetched? We live in precarious times. There is an ever-increasing possibility of food shortages caused by terrorist attacks, natural disasters, truck strikes, or monetary collapse. You owe it to yourself and family to prepare, and you can by getting a supply of our long-storing, freeze-dried, and dehydrated foods. Our foods are time-tested to store for decades, require a minimum of time and energy to prepare while maintaining superior nutritional value, freshness, and taste. Our foods were designed for the space program and are in constant use today by our own nuclear submarine service. Contact the Freeze Dry Guy today at freezedryguy at landset.com. That's freezedryguy at l-a-n-s-e-t.com or call 530-265-8333. 530-265-8333. And let them know you heard it on American Boys Radio. Using your cell phone for business or staying in touch with family, your cell phone use is increasing. Use the Wave Shield, developed for ultimate cellular protection. The Wave Shield blocks, reduces, and deflects up to 97% of the radiation from entering the soft tissue of your ear. The Wave Shield, made of a patented mesh material, is proven and tested to block radiation without affecting reception. Order your Wave Shield today for only $19.95. Did he just say $19.95? Hey, times are tough, so American Voice Radio Network is cutting the price to $17.95. That's right, $17.95 plus mailing. You can protect yourself, family, and friends from cell phone danger to your inner ear. $17.95 at TheAmericanVoice.com. That's the superstore at TheAmericanVoice.com. $17.95 plus mailing. Order now. What makes deep sea salt from France so different? Up from the ocean depths in the south of France flow undersea rivers of pristine sea water. At high tide, the prepared salt ponds are filled with this water. Over spring and summer, processed only by ocean breezes and sunshine, the brine thickens and salt crystals float to the top. These are harvested with nets and deposited on wooden drainage flats to dry. The salt is then gathered up, packaged, and shipped around the world. This salt is much more than a box of lifeless sodium chloride. Soldiers worth their salt were once paid with this valuable commodity. It contains 78 to 84 balancing elements. This is living salt, and once you have tasted it, you will never go back to anything else. I've seen this salt in gourmet shops for $30 a pound. Get it now at 4spectrum.us for under $8 a pound. Order 10 pounds and enter the coupon code AVRSALT at checkout and save $20. Ships free to your door or call 800-581-8906. Order today. with you for the second half of our program freedom call again welcome to all of our loyal listeners and if you're new uh, the things that we say here you may be surprised at but uh, it is because I'm able to look behind the veil of national security and I am fluent in Washingtonese that I'm able to uh, 
give you the news uh, each Monday through Friday the way that I do. I'm going to run down now because there's several things that uh, bear uh, looking into, but there's also a number of things that you need to be aware of. Uh, interestingly enough, there is a website out, uh, like a Facebook, uh, that has uh, taken numerous uh, hits, meaning I likes. On Facebook, if you like something, then you can uh, hit I like. Well, this I hate uh, Casey Anthony is a posting on Facebook which has been inundated with I like, meaning I hate. Uh, Casey Anthony, the jurors, very interesting. Now, I told you about this. Again, this is part of the penetration behind the veil of security. You know that the uh, Casey Anthony, Casey, the little two-year-old girl that was murdered, you know that her mother was tried. This thing has taken place over three years in Orlando, Orange County, Florida. Well, early on, the lawyers for uh, Casey uh, didn't think they could get a fair trial. So they asked for jurors from another area in Florida, and they gave them a jury pool which was selected from Pinellas. Now, Pinellas Park is the place where they starved and denied uh, this uh, young woman uh, any kind of liquids or foods. took them 11 days to legally kill her. A weenie probate judge ruled... The President of the United States tried to uh, overrule. The U.S. Congress tried to intervene. The governor of uh, Florida uh, made a decision, sent the state police, the Florida legislature, but they couldn't get by the Pinellas police. Judge George Greer had made the decision. Michael Schivo. Uh, was the beneficiary of millions of dollars. The Hemlock Society gives them an award. The place where Terry Scheibel was captured and kept was owned and operated uh, partially by these same people. Judge Greer, the the Hemlock Society, their purpose is to get rid of Americans that might have some physical defect and require uh, either specialist care or a prolonged hospitalization. They want to kill children. They want to uh, euthanize old people. They want to get rid of anyone who's born with... uh, uh, brain defects, etc. And so this jury now from Pinellas, because I don't know where, I, I have friends that live down in that area, 
Fort Myer, for example, and uh, other areas right around Pinellas. And they are not zombies. But what kind of people come up and let Casey Anthony go? Obviously, 310 million people in America, and most of the people old enough to have any kind of discernment uh, saw that Casey Anthony had murdered Kay Lee, her little two-year-old girl, runs out, uh, hitting the good life, tattooing herself until uh, she's finally caught. There's a smell of death in her car. I mean, what are we doing? And the jury says, well, we just didn't have the evidence. Well, you know what the jury is doing now? The jurors are leaving town. Now, they left Orlando. They went back to Pinellas, but they are fearful. The jurors, for crying out loud, that released, and they're calling uh, this uh, Casey Anthony the trial of the century, even trumping O.J. Simpson. And now they're saying... See, in O.J., they didn't run. Well, because they never had, I don't think there's ever been a time, maybe the Lindbergh baby. But see, they found uh, Hoffman guilty and executed him. But I've never seen the combination of where a little child, innocent, two years old, is murdered and is put in plastic bags, dropped in a swamp, smothered to death. And her mother, while all this time, is out uh, just basically uh, whoring around. And now she's caught. And uh, the trial goes. And the jury shocked the entire nation and probably people all over the world that could see and discern, and even the foreman of the jury, I they wouldn't show his face, but I saw him in profile say today that, quote, he was disgusted to sign. Well, so what's making him? Is he a zombie? Are the rest of those people from Pinellas, his neighbors, are they zombies? Is that why they're leaving their jobs and going undercover? That's what they're doing. So you need to be aware of that, that America is angry about Casey Anthony going free. And this week she will be freed. And uh, there is, uh, she will have to do a deposition on Thursday. They let her go, I think, Wednesday, Thursday, uh, because uh, this uh, nanny that she said she was a lie, and she admitted it was a lie. But the woman she identified as having uh, Kaylee uh, ended up having a life of hell because uh, Casey identified her as the woman with her baby. 
had kidnapped her baby. Well, she now is suing Casey. Casey will have to give a sworn deposition uh, on Thursday of this week. And this suit start. Casey's going to have to pay, apparently, for the trial. But interesting that the jury is leaving their jobs and going undercover because they're fearful for their life because of the hatred that America has developed for them. Whoa. All right. Anyway, um, the stock market, as I mentioned to you in the first hour, uh, tanked. And uh, the nation of Italy uh, is uh, in the about the same position the United States is, only uh, probably doesn't have the depth of the United States. Other nations over in uh, the uh, European Union are also suffering. I personally believe that this whole thing is a Machiavellian manipulation to put America in with the EU. Do you know we already have this uh, trade agreement? There were two things. There was pulling together a world government, and there was establishment of a world trade union. Well, we have the world trade union. And now what is left, and have, do you, and I'm being serious here, answer this question. Has there ever been a better chance for global governance than under Obama? If you can say yes, I wish that you would send me your information. My email address is B-O-G-R-I-T-Z at M-S-N dot com. Now, you know uh, how TSA is. They had a woman, 95 in a wheelchair, wearing Depends, adult diapers. Uh, they, TSA thought she might be a terrorist. She might be concealing something. They took her into a special interrogation room and removed her diaper. And because it was soil, she couldn't put it back on. So uh, they saw, well, there's nothing here. Uh, and so now the woman... Uh, doesn't have uh, any underwear, and at her age and her condition, she needs uh, the Depends. But this is TSA. These are supposed to be Americans. These people act like a bunch of idiots. Now, we know that a Nigerian who should be profiled, a Nigerian... Because when you look at, has there ever been a would-be bomber who's been from Nigeria? Yes. The guy that tried to put explosives in his, in his drawers was Nigerian. So this Nigerian gets on a plane. He doesn't have any ID with the right name. He doesn't have a ticket with the right name. He doesn't have a boarding pass. He's using an old one that he got. He gets on a plane and flies all the way to California. Now, his plan was to fly to Atlanta, which is like Nigeria, 
the next day, and that's where the FBI uh, said no. So they picked him up. This TSA, what are they doing? Thousands standing around looking for 95-year-old people in wheelchairs wearing the pen so they can see what it looks like. Tell me if it's different. All right, now, today, TSA, uh, everything is moving along. All of a sudden, a JetBlue airliner lands at Newark, New Jersey, and they find a full-size stun gun in the seat pocket. Uh, you know how the you sit in a seat and then there's a the back of the seat in front of you has a pocket for magazines. Well, here's this, uh, not a miniature, but a full-size stun gun operational. How did it get into JetBlue, and uh, the person who had it, I guess, left it as a message, or who knows? Anyway, another mark for TSA. Iowa. These are states that have early uh, primaries that are being uh, focused upon by front runners in the Republican Party for president. Obama doesn't have any competition against him uh, in the primary. He is the incumbent. And so uh, Iowa and New Hampshire and these kinds of states uh, are uh, exciting because uh, they are early states. And you have a lot of people now, famous people running for office, that are visiting. Well, Bachman, who is a congresswoman, is the leader, according to a poll taken today in Iowa. This shows you, uh, this makes Obama happy. Because Bachman has staff writers that I think are sabotaging her. If they are not sabotaging her, then they are dumb. She made the statement about uh, being in the town where John Wayne, the movie star, was born. It wasn't John Wayne, the movie star, that was born there. It was John Wayne Gacy, the serial killer, who was born there. She makes the statement that our founders did away with slavery uh, when they uh, wrote the Constitution. Many of our founders had owned slaves. It's completely wrong. She has made statements like that, which are the Jay Leno, Jay Walking type statements that people should know how many stars are on the flag. When you get a state like the great state of Iowa, and maybe it's got something to do with the, you know, with the heat wave, even though Iowa, as I recall, is not one of the uh, 
uh, states that, yeah, it is too. All right, it's probably the heat wave. That will have Bachman as the leader. I mean, what? how many arrows are we going to give Obama and his quiver? He could shoot uh, Miss Bachman down right now and utterly destroy her just from the things, trivia, where she's trying to uh, make a sweet mouth, and she's getting it wrong. Betty Ford died. It was after the program on Friday. Betty Ford was 93. Uh, Betty Ford was for uh, equal rights amendment. Uh, Betty Ford disagreed <laughs> uh, verbally, openly, with her husband, Gerald Ford, who uh, ended up with Rockefeller as the president and vice president that no one in America had voted for. <laughs> we actually had there, uh, Gerald Ford took over in like 1970. Four to seventy-seven, and um, Mrs. Ford, Betty Ford, beat alcohol and drug addiction, and they named uh, after her uh, the centers. Anyway, Betty Ford has died at the age of ninety-three. She died on Friday. Uh, she was a first lady. All right, now uh, just a couple of other important things. Then I want to get into something that I think is most important. Uh, well, let me get into that. Uh, I gave you the numbers at the break. However, maybe uh, because uh, of the music or whatever, you didn't catch the numbers. I want you to remember. I want you to care about our young men and women in uniform. Listen to this. June of 2011 was the most deadly month for Americans in uniform in Afghanistan and Iraq. Do you hear that? There are 6,129 Americans that have been, been sent back home killed in combat. Many more than that have died, but they don't meet the criteria for recognition by uh, the Defense Department as having been killed in uh, Iraq or in Afghanistan. And tens of thousands have been seriously wounded, and hundreds of thousands are suffering from disease that you can't see other than in the way ways that these veterans uh, react. 6,129 flag-draped coffins at Dover Air Force Base. When are we going to care enough to stand up? You see, the people serving in the military don't come from our rich and so we don't have influence in Washington, D.C. or in industry. This has got to be from the grassroots. We, the people, have got to stand up for 6,129 who have made the ultimate sacrifice. 
Now, I just want to give you uh, something uh, to think about. There is a, a girl who has a new uh, book out now, and her name is J.C. Lee Dugard. And she was kidnapped on the 10th of June, 1991. She was 11 years young. She was born May the 3rd, 1980. She was abducted from a school bus stop within sight of her home in South Lake Tahoe, California. Now, searches began immediately but there were no reliable leads. She remained missing for more than 18 years. On August 26, 2009, Dugard, two daughters that she birthed, and Philip Craig Garrido appeared at University of Berkeley. Their unusual behavior sparked an investigation that led to the positive identification of J.C. She had been living in a tent behind Garrido's home, kept captive. Philip Craig Garrido, 58, and his wife, Nancy Garrido of Antioch, California, arrested for kidnapping and other charges, they pled guilty to her kidnapping, sexual assault on April 28, 2011. Law enforcement officers believe Dugard was kept in a concealed area behind Garrido's home for 18 years. She birthed two daughters who were age 11, her first one. She was 11 years young and 15 on to June 2000, on June the 2nd, 2011, Philip Grito was sentenced to 431 years imprisonment. His wife received 36 years to life. All this time, we had people from child protective agencies going by, but they never went in. They never looked for J.C. Lee Dugard. Now, I think one that is awful that I bring up, Indiana Department of Child Services reveal that Christian Choate, C-H-O-A-T-E, a boy authorities claim lived locked in a cage and died from savage beatings, deprivation, he wrote letters describing the situation, saying he wanted to die. According to the Chicago Tribune, the DCS visited the Choate family in Gary, Indiana, more than a dozen times in just 1999, investigating allegations of abuse and neglect, but they never went in. They never went in and saw the boy. He died in 2009. He was 13. 
Much of the last year of his life, he was locked in a three-foot-high dog cage with little food or drink. When he did get out of the cage, he endured savage beatings from his father, Riley Riley Choate. On the night of April 2009, Christian was too weak to keep his food down. His father beat him unconscious, locked his limp body in the cage. His sister, Christina, found him dead the next morning. He was put in a shallow grave and covered in concrete. Gee, many Christmas. They are pleading not guilty. Did this boy not have a champion anywhere? Remember Susan Lay Smith? Remember her taking her two little boys in Union, South Carolina, drove them into a lake and watched the car disappear, drown those two little boys, desperately looking out of the back window, three-year-old Michael Daniel Smith. He was just three-year-old, 14-year-old, 14-month-old Alexander Smith. Why did she do this? Because her boyfriend didn't like children. We have got to become champions for these little people. Keep your eyes out. You know, people say they didn't report these things because they were afraid of retribution. They're afraid to stand up. They're afraid to go to the authorities. They're afraid maybe something will happen to them if they report somebody. You don't need to be like a communist nation, but we need to be American. We need to protect our young people. What is happening to us? All right, dear friends and listeners, I'll let you go for today, but please try to be here tomorrow. Freedom Call. Stay tuned to American Voice Radio. Of the Green Silver wings upon their chest. These are men, America's best. One hundred men will test today, but only three win the Green Beret. shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific.
financial obligations or relationship problems have you feeling stressed out? When life is too much to handle, use Apothecary Herbs Emotional Stress Formula. Feel calm and more in control with herbs especially combined to provide the organic nutrition your system needs to help you cope. Complete instructions for maximum benefit and a money-back guarantee. You've waited long enough. Call Apothecary Herbs now. Toll-free, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the 3 wsthepowerherbscom Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971 when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. the Constitutional Crusaders show on the American Voice Radio Network. I'm your host, M. Roy Ben Shadler, constitutional counselor, and still all around pain in the rear end of bureaucrats and petty thugs all over. Today is Monday, July 6th, 2015. It is the 3 o'clock hour out here on the left coast. If you're listening to some other time zone, obviously you're going to have to adjust accordingly. This is a live call-in show. Calling in is not necessary. Thinking, however, is we, of course, do give that exemption, as always, to those members of Media Matters, the Southern Poverty Law Center, and government agents that are paid to listen to this show. Because, after all, if we required them to think, that would create a hostile work environment, and I don't want to be responsible for that. If you'd like to call in, it's real simple. Just dial up 1-800-932-1980, or you may send an instant message directly to your host through Yahoo Instant Messenger ID KC7AQK. 
as is our want, my friends. We like to open up this show with the wisdom of the ages, otherwise known as the dead white guy quote. Whenever you find yourself on the side of the majority, it is time to pause and reflect, end quote. Thank you, Mark Twain. That is very sage advice. We have 23 pages this week, my friends, in the show newsletter. Your calls, instant messages, and whatever else happens to come across the transom, and we will get to as much of it as possible right after this little disclaimer. Warning, this show may be hazardous to your paradigms if you are a whiny, crying, liberal, pinko, commie bedwetter, an inept, overpaid bureaucrat, or are still mad over Reagan's tax cut. Should you fit into any one of the above categories, immediately have your friends tie you down for some truth therapy. Continue this therapy until you can dismiss your delusions and can deal with reality. If you cannot handle 100% pure, unadulterated, truth, this radio show will not be held responsible for your predictable discomfort. Welcome back, my friends. Remember, my job is simple. It is to comfort the disturbed and to disturb the comfortable, and I do it the same way you can, by asking questions. Real simple. But you have to know what questions to ask, and that's where I try and help you. Okay, today is First Monday, which means, of course, as a former political prisoner... I was told during the kangaroo proceedings that they called a court and trial that since I had never done any type of disclaimer claiming political speech, that this was not a political talk show. Well, since I've returned to the somewhat, quote-unquote, free world... I have decided that I need to do something to rectify that. So on the first Monday of the month, I do a disclaimer. And it goes something like this. You see, I've noticed a very disturbing trend. In the recent past, there have been more and more stories about law-abiding citizens arrested over comments made on Facebook, Blogster, MySpace, and other social networking sites. And the stories, well... They always end up, or almost always end up the same, with death, mayhem, destruction, chaos, etc. Well, we are facing even more thought crimes, my friends, which means that I need to once again make it perfectly clear, and with this uptick in crime think police state tactics, I need to make this disclaimer, which applies to Everything I've said or done from the beginning of time until such time as I tell you otherwise, and it goes like this. Your host, M. Roy Ben Shadler, is in no way threatening any kind of physical, mental, or emotional harm, i.e. a thought crime, 
to any pol- elected politician or bureau rat. And if you, as a politician or bureau rat, feel that I have been, then that feeling is based purely upon the limited functioning of your own depraved and shoe-sized IQ mind. If you feel threatened by the likes of a harmless political commentator like me, then you really need to get out of the leech business and do something productive. You know, like mowing lawns or painting over graffiti or maybe offering yourself as a live target to DHS so they can become less queasy over shooting Americans. Now, for those of you who say that what I just said is an example of thought crime in and of itself, no, it's not. It's political speech and satire. Unfortunately, due to the totalitarian nature of the Orwellian world we now live in with doublespeak, ingsoc, doublethink, and things like Homeland Security, which is taken right from the Nazi Germany Homeland Department. Oh, and by the way, stay tuned for the law school segment. I'm going to be talking about that a little bit, but I digress. The satire I do is becoming not because of anything I am saying or doing, but by the actions of a more aggressive and totalitarian ministry of love, otherwise known as the Department of Justice, that locks up people because of perceived threats. The very thing I started out as satire years ago is now the new thought crime. Welcome, my friends, to the new reality. Big Brother's here, Cult of Personality is here, Ingsoc is here, Prism is here, Metadata is here, NSA's X-Key score is here. You know, is it any wonder I close the show each week the way I do? Now, if any of this has been confusing, or the terms unfamiliar to you, or the meaning behind what I'm saying feels obscure, then at the very least, read the Wikipedia page on 1984, or better yet, read the book yourself until these terms and their meanings become familiar to you. I give you a warning, however. Becoming familiar with them will, if you truly deeply understand these terms and concepts, it will prevent the last sentence of the book from happening to you like has happened to far too many of our fellow men. Now, for several months in a row recently, I had zero First Monday stories. That is, stories that fit into what I have just talked about, my friends. This week, this month, almost 100% of this show is going to be First Monday stories. And I left some out still. Reserved them for next month. Because there was that many. So, let's start off. Since 1984 and political crime is about thought crime, let's start out about what leads to thought crime, shall we? Headline, Bruce Jenner's A Woman. Yeah, media invents nonsense to call us bigots. John Nolte writes, and says in George Orwell's masterpiece, 1984, he wrote, In the end, the party would announce that two and two made five, and you would have to believe it. It was inevitable 
that they should make that claim sooner or later. The logic of their position demanded it. Not merely the validity of experience, but the very existence of external reality was tacitly denied by their philosophy. The heresy of heresies was common sense. And what was terrifying was not that they would kill you for thinking otherwise, but that they might be right. For after all, how do we know that two and two make four, or that the force of gravity works, or that the past is unchangeable? <clears throat> if both the past and the external world exist only in the mind, and if the mind itself is controllable, what then? Well, we're not yet at that point in America where they will literally be murdered by the mainstream media and the political left for arguing that two and two do not make five. Nevertheless, should your answer be four... A contract by CNN, PMSNBC, Salon, the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Daily Beast, etc. will be put out against you and your reputation and political aspirations. Well, let's, um, let's call it what we call it, my friends. Bruce, call me Kate Jenner. <clears throat> He's a man. It's a biological, scientific, and objective fact. In the same way someone else with a mental disorder or an addiction to being a reality show star might prefer to be called Napoleon, Jenner might prefer to be called a woman. That request, however, does not make him a woman any more than my request to call me Batman makes me Batman. There is also the not-so-small issue that Jenner hasn't bothered to have a sex change operation. In other words, he's still got his junk. Airbrushing away a man's junk does not make him a woman. After all, look in his <clears throat> genes and you'll find XY chromosomes. In fact, you could kidnap me, put me in an induced coma for a year, Pump me with estrogen, slap a vagina on me, and when I wake up, guess what? I'm still a man, and I'll kick the rear end of anyone who says different. Sorry, gender isn't up to us, and no amount of self-mutilation or patronizing enabling changes that fact. Another objective fact is that those who truly care about the well-being of the world's Bruce Jenners do not enable and celebrate psychological disorders as the next civil rights revolution. If you truly care, you tell them the truth, that they need intensive and compassionate psychological help. In any sane, rational science-based world, Jenner's gender, gender would not be up for debate. Moreover, defiantly pointing to a man and calling him a man would not be the stuff of a Breitbart news column that will result in the stream of hate about to hit a Twitter feed. 
Unfortunately, we no longer live in a sane or rational world. The lamestream media has not just hijacked language. Our fascist overlords, and yes, I use that term deliberately, our fascist overlords have hijacked objective truth. And now the Orwellian world we inhabit demands that you call a man a woman and four a five, or you are a homophobe, or a transphobe, or a heteronormative pansexual phobe, or whatever the word of the day might be. America is so tolerant. There is so little racism and bigotry in this country today that in order for the lamestream media to smear its enemies on the right as bigots, the media must demand that we deny reality. For example, the media. What's two and two? I reply, four. Media, you're racist. Media, is Jenner male or female? I reply, male. You're a heteronormative pansexual phobe. This isn't just happening with Jenner. The quote-unquote pro-science media will also smear us as racist, anti-science, homophobic, or extremists for standing by any number of objective facts. This, of course, is all part of the plan. It's a partisan, political tactic from a media frustrated by the lack of bigotry in America. No one is standing in school doors. No one is segregating buses or lunch counters. No one is bashing gays. No one is burning crosses. Therefore, the only tactic the media has left is to invent anti-science nonsense. Call it a fact and call anyone a bigot or extremist who dares to disagree that 2 plus 2 equals 5, or that George Zimmerman is white, or that Jesus is a socialist, or only political cartoons that lampoon Muslims are racist, or a warming planet means harsher winters, which means Obama is not to blame for the economy, or wildly popular, even among Democrats and blacks, that voter ID laws are Jim Crow, or that Michael Brown is a gentle giant, or Trayvon Martin is a victim of racism, or, 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 and there's about 15 more things that I could say, my friends. Everything we label as racism is racism. Here's an example. Media. The death of Eric Garner looks like police brutality. Me? I couldn't agree more. There needs to be a full and immediate investigation. The debate should end there, correct? Except the media can't allow the debate to end there. Conservatives can simply never be allowed to appear reasonable. This means the media has to go on the anti-science route. It has to demand that we agree that 2 plus 2 equals 5. So it goes like this. 
The police officers responsible for Eric Garner's death were motivated by racism. I respond, well, we don't know that. That's why there needs to be an investigation. The media, why do you hate black people? Six years. Six years, my friends, before the publication of 1984, George Orwell wrote this, quote, Nazi theory indeed specifically denies that such things as the truth exists. The implied objective of this line of thought is a nightmare world in which the leader or some ruling clique controls not only the future, but the past. If the leader says of such and such an event, it never happened, well, it never happened. If he says that two and two are five, well, two and two are five. This prospect frightens me much more than bombs, end quote. To keep the right on defense and unjustly smeared as bigots, the media and the left are engaged in nothing less than intellectual terrorism. Yes, you heard me. I said it. They are engaged in nothing less than intellectual terrorism. I know, my friends, I have been a victim of it, and I went to a federal prison camp for 11 months as a subject and recipient of intellectual terrorism. Of course, that is assuming that they actually had an intellect. But the very fact that I point out that they don't have an intellect shows that I'm engaged in intellectual terrorism, according to them. So, just watch how many times our fascist media will demand our Republican presidential candidates to enable Bruce Jenner's psychosocial problems and act that is proved oftentimes to be fatal to those under a gender delusion by answering five to the question of whether or not gender is a man or a woman. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I won't have time to get through this, but I will have time to get started. I'm not sure exactly where this has gone since I saved it, my friends. There was supposed to be a hearing between the time I clipped it and now, and I have not found any follow-up on it. So I'm just going to present it as I found it almost a month ago. It begins, the headline reads, Montana man being prosecuted for hate speech and Holocaust denial. Elizabeth Nolan Brown writes and says, uh, and reports saying via the Volk conspiracy website, a disturbing criminal case out of Montana where Flathead County resident David Lenio, age 28, is being prosecuted for making disparaging remarks about Jews on Twitter and denying that the Holocaust happened. Say what? While this sort of prosecution is common in parts of Europe, 
Americans enjoy the protection of this little thing we call the First Amendment, which contains no exception for what is colloquially known as hate speech. The only permitted exceptions to free speech protections, as the Supreme Court recently re-articulated, are for obscenity, defamation, fraud, incitement, and, quote, speech integral to criminal conduct, end quote. I would add one thing, my friends. At the federal district court level, commercial speech is also not allowed. Yeah. Well, that is, unless you get permission from the government to do it. Yeah. That's why I say this is not commercial speech here, my friends. This is free speech. This show and everything I've done since the beginning of time, until I tell you otherwise, it's political speech. Well, as Eugene Volokh explains from his website, defamation law is generally limited to false factual assertions. It requires a showing that the speaker knows the statement is false and isn't just mistaken, reasonably or not, and it requires a statement about a particular person. But under Montana's ridiculously broad defamation statute, quote, Defamatory matter is anything that exposes a person or a group, class, or association to hatred, contempt, ridicule, degradation, or disgrace in society, or injury to the person, or business, or occupation, end quote. Furthermore, Anyone who, quote, communicates any defamatory matter to a third person without the consent of the person defamed commits the offense of criminal defamation, end quote. Here are some samples of the kind of things Lenio has been arrested for tweeting. Things like, USA needs a Hitler to rise to power to fix our economy, and I'm about ready to give my life to the cause or just shoot a bunch of kikes. He also tweeted, I hope someone goes on a massive killing spree in Kalispell School because I'm so poor I can't afford housing and I don't care about your kids. He also says, Now that the Holocaust has been proven to be a lie beyond a reasonable doubt, it's now time to hunt the Nazi hunters. And finally, Copenhagen. It's important to note that Jews hate free speech and are known BSers. Could be a false flag. Well, reasonable people may disagree on whether Lenio's assertion that he's going to be shooting people constitutes a true threat. And U.S. courts have recently been grappling with some something similar in the case involving Facebook statements, although in that case the potential threats were directed at specific individuals. But it's clear that if any illegal speech is at play here, it's the suggestion that Lenio might commit violence, right? Well, 
not so right. And I'll show you exactly how not so right on the other side of the break, my friends, because you're really going to want to hear how the Flathead County Prosecutor's Office is twisting their overly broad statute into pretzels over time. You're listening to the Constitutional Crusader Show on the American Voice Radio Network. Don't you go anywhere. We'll be right back. that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. have denied internet access for their people during civil strife. The FCC seized in-use commercial shortwave frequencies right after the September 11th attacks. No one communication system can be depended on to be there when you need information. You need choices. You need a KU band free-to-air satellite system from AVR. The AVR system includes a receiver, an LNB, and a 75-centimeter dish. All you need to get on your own is the coaxial cable. The system is delivered to your door for $149. That's right, delivered for $149.99. That's the shipping and the system, $149.99. Call 541-225-4659. That's 541-225-4659. Or visit AmericanVoiceRadio.com and click Satellite System. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family.
Crusader Show on the American Voice Radio Network. I'm your host, I'm Roy Ben Shadler. It is still Monday, July 6, 2015. It is about 3.30 out here on the left coast. And I've been telling you the story, for those of you just joining us, about a young man in Montana and some of the things that he's tweeted about. And because he has tweeted these some vile statements that he's made. He's being charged uh, for incitement to commit violence and defamation, among other things. Well, the Flathead County Prosecutor's Office is charging that Lenio, that's the young man's name, not just for intimidation, but also independently under the state's defamation statute. They argue that Lenio made defamatory statements about Jews by suggesting that they have degraded the economy and dislike free speech, and that by stating that the Holocaust was a lie. Lenio's attorney filed a motion to dismiss the charges on the grounds that the statutes were unconstitutionally overbroad, and that's the point that I said there was supposed to be a rebuttal, and I have not heard about any type of rebuttal yet, so I don't know. But the state argued in response that, quote, Lenio does not establish beyond a reasonable doubt that the defamation law is facially overbroad because it is not limited to cases against individuals or small groups of people, and he does not establish how the statute reaches protected speech in a substantial number of cases, end quote. Can we pause just a second there? According to Montana prosecutors, it's unimaginable how a law against voicing any negative opinion about any group of people could infringe on free speech in a substantial way. This is not defamation, as it is commonly understood. This is, as Volokh states, quote, that extraordinarily rare thing, an American prosecution for hate speech. There's just one tiny problem. Have you figured out what the one tiny problem is yet? The First Amendment doesn't allow that. Now, while Volokh doesn't think that the Montana defamation law is unconstitutional per se, its prohibitions on injurious statements about groups, classes, or association must be, quote, limited to relatively small groups, such as four officers of a corporation, or 25 employees in a particular job category, as Volek put it. But the Montana prosecutor disagrees. Statements that injure the reputation of Jews as a class, or presumably Muslims, blacks, gays, men, police officers, law professors, Republicans, or any other such group as a class, the prosecutor reasons are also covered by the statute. Now, if 
I lived in Montana, and I typed something like, or said over the airwaves from Montana, something like, police officers are bullies, librarians have six toes apiece, or Montana government officials hate free speech, well, evidently, I could be charged with criminal defamation. That's terrifying. And it's certainly unconstitutional. Well, Volokh, from the Volokh Conspiracy website, points out that the Supreme Court did hold in 1952 that, quote, group libel, end quote, is constitutionally unprotected. Yet, since then, the court and legal scholars have routinely rejected this opinion. Prevailing case law now holds that disrespectful, hateful, or quote-unquote reputation-injuring opinions, such as Lenio's assertion that Jews hate free speech, cannot be punished as defamation, which is reserved for factual assertions. What's more, even false factual assertions cannot be considered defamatory unless the speaker knows they are false. And deliberate falsehoods about historical matters, like the Holocaust, for example, or economic and social issues, including the alleged behavior or characteristics of a large racial, religious, or political group, are constitutionally protected as well. The most recent ruling in this regard was United States versus Alvarez in 2012, where judges opine that, quote, laws restricting false statements about philosophy, religion, history, the social sciences, the arts, and other matters of public concern, well, they would, quote, present a grave and unacceptable danger of suppressing truthful speech, end quote. Now, this does not mean that, as the court said, quote, there is no such thing as a truth or falsity in these areas, or that the truth is always impossible to ascertain, but rather that it is perilous to limit the state to be the arbiter of truth. Okay. You see where this is going, my friends. And if Montana uh, supposedly can conservative state that respects free speech and other rights can do things like this, well, what can I say, my friends? Now, again, being that this is a first Monday and carrying on with first Monday stories, let's talk about George Orwell and the memory hole. Europe has gone down the memory hole with the right to be forgotten. After all, nothing says <clears throat> freedom like forcing people to alter the historical record. Let's start with a quote. He stepped across the room. There was a memory hole in the opposite wall. 
O'Brien lifted the grating. Unseen, the frail slip of paper was whirling away on the current of warm air. It was vanishing in a flash of flame. O'Brien turned away from the wall. Ashes, he said. Not even identifiable ashes. Dust. It does not exist. It never existed. End quote. This is the moment in 1984 when O'Brien, an agent of the Thought Police who was torturing Winston Smith in room 101, dumps into a memory hole an inconvenient news story. An 11-year-old newspaper cutting which confirms that three party members who were executed for treason could not have been guilty. It does exist, Wales, Winston. It exists in memory. I remember it. You remember it. O'Brien, mere seconds after plunging the item into the memory hole, replies, I do not remember it. Now, of all the horrible things in 1984 that have come true in recent years, from rampant thought policing to the spread of CCTV cameras, surely the memory hole, the institutionalization of forgetting, will never make an appearance in our supposedly open, transparent, young century. After all, ours is a knowledge society where info is power and Googling is pretty much on every human's list of favorite pastimes. Well, think again. The memory hole is already here. In Europe, anyway. We might not have actual holes in which these pesky facts are dropped so they can be burnt in enormous furnaces, but the EU-enforced, quote-unquote, right-to-be-forgotten does empower individual citizens in Europe with the connivance of Google to behave like little O'Briens, wiping from Internet search engines any fact they would rather no longer existed. The right to be forgotten recently celebrated its first birthday. It was introduced last May when a Spanish man went to the European Court of Justice to complain about the fact that a story about his home once having been repossessed was still showing up when his name was Googled. This was an infringement of his privacy, he claimed. The ECJ agreed and instituted what has come to be known as the right to be forgotten. It said citizens have a right to demand the erasure of search engine links to stories containing, quote, irrelevant or outdated, end quote, data about them. This means, weirdly, that online news reports about, for example, that Spanish man's financial travails will still exist. Europeans just won't be able to find them at least not by using Google or any of the other main search engines. And in the years since the ECJ effectively gave us the right to say it does not exist, there have been tens of thousands of requests for the rewriting of history. 
Google says it has received 253,617 requests asking for the removal of 920,258 links, and it has approved more than 40% of them. That's more than 100,000 news stories or web pages whose links will no longer show up in search engine results, which means that for Joe Average in this hyper-online age, they effectively no longer exist. Just like the proverbial falling tree that makes no noise because no one's there to hear it, so the old news item that will never show up on your Googling page makes no impact on public consciousness. It's unnews, as Orwell might have said. Ashes, not even identifiable ashes. Now, if you're wondering why Google is not only receiving requests for links burning, but is also ruling on them, it's because the ECG, ECJ ruling excuse me, made search engines into the judge and juries of what may be remembered and what must be forgotten. It's one of the scariest things about the right to be forgotten. It outsources authoritarianism to private companies. Google, which, to its credit, is not exactly over the moon about having been made the overlord of memory, says it has had to hire, quote, a number, end quote, they don't give the number, uh, but a number of paralegals to deal with the tsunami of requests to begin with, it was getting 10,000 requests a day. Now it's more like 1,000. So in Europe in the 21st century, we have a situation where a private firm that promised to open up the world of info and ideas to vast swaths of humanity is now in charge of shutting down bits of that world at the behest of disgruntled and embarrassed O'Briens. Some say that, unlike Orwell's memory holes, the right to be forgotten won't and in fact can't be used by powerful political actors to bury awkward facts. Instead, it's about helping citizens hide, quote, irrelevant, end quote, info. But this overlooks the seriously detrimental impact that the right to be forgotten nonetheless has on people's right to know, even on our standing as free citizens. The 100,000 approved requests for links removal included the following. An individual who was convicted of a serious crime five years ago and whose conviction was later quashed on appeal has had all links to an article mentioning his crime erased. A political activist who was stabbed at a demonstration successfully obliterated links to news reports about the stabbing. A woman whose husband was murdered decades ago has had links to the news reports about the murder deleted, and on it goes. Many of the removals are of old stories about long-ago court cases or of embarrassing facts that an individual feels have become irrelevant. And in the cases cited above, and many of the 100,000 expunged story links, they share one thing in common. 
They are matters of historical record. They are part of history. It is a historical fact that a man was found guilty of a crime five years ago. Even if his conviction was later quashed, it's a historical fact that an activist was stabbed at a protest. And we citizens must have the right to know and to access history, whether it's legal convictions, which are carried out in our name after all, or violent assaults, which are serious matters, no doubt. The right to be forgotten is held up as a citizen-friendly system that protects us from social shame. In truth, it diminishes citizenship and freedom through depriving us of the right to know about historical events. In a free, democratic society, the people's right to know about recorded matters should always outweigh an individual's right to be forgotten and to scrub those matters from history like O'Brien forces the forgetting of awkward news. My friends, I've been watching this TV series on Netflix uh, called Continuum. And in this story, a corporate police officer from 70 years in the future gets thrown back to 2012 along with a bunch of convicted and condemned criminals, terrorists, and she's in the position now of being the sole cop from the future who knows about these criminals' crimes and tries to round them up. Well, during the course of the story, my friends, the criminals are respond or talking to each other about what is for them history, but has not yet happened. And part of this story is, and the corporations covered up these crimes. And because they covered them up, that's how they were able to get their vote through to dismantle the government and make it a corporate government. Sound familiar, my friends? Scrubbed the news. Well, a private life is a very important thing. But with the right to be forgotten, we aren't talking about private matters. You know, like what porn a person watches or what they get up in the bedroom after midnight. We're talking about public events, court rulings, historical occurrences, the redefinition of matters of public record as issues of privacy is so Orwellian. It's a doublespeak extension of the very idea of a private life to cover public matters, leading to the shrinkage of the people's right to know, to discover, to discuss. Well, lucky Americans with your First Amendment are unlikely to see the granting of a right to be forgotten anytime soon, but you should nonetheless remain vigilant and watch for any expansion of privacy protections at the expense of the freedom to discover history and the truth. There you go, my friends. Now, in a related story, 
headline, clear your browser history and spend 20 years in prison. Now, this is from, so take it with a grain of salt, my friends. This is from the very socialist rag, the Daily Cause, which is so socialist that the editorial writer writes under a pseudonym of the Crotor, K-R-O-T-O-R. That's the name, the Crotor. Okay, that's how socialist it is, my friends. Afraid to even put their name on it. However, even with that, listen to some of the points brought up here. Because it's very interesting. And again, it's from a socialist point of view, so that's why I'm warning you about that. Well, they start out with a screenshot of browser history and privacy section of Firefox's preferences dialog, and with the notion saying, caution, deleting your browser history may be illegal. Now, they say, you need to decide something important today. Would you prefer that your spouse or family member know about that naughty website you visited yesterday, or would you prefer to spend a couple of decades in a federal prison? See, in a recent article in The Nation, discloses the inappropriate use by federal prosecutors of a law meant for entirely different purposes. The Sarbanes-Oxley Act of 20, uh, 2002 was intended to provide authorities with tools to thwart criminal behavior by corporations. It was enacted after the Enron meltdown when we found out that executives, or their lackeys following orders, shredded every document they could think of which might incriminate them. The legislation's goal was to prevent companies from perpetrating massive fraud and then destroying the evidence of their conspiratorial criminality while investigations were underway. Sort of like Hillary shredding all of her emails, you know. It's, it was designed to prevent that sort of thing. The relevant section of Sarbanes-Oxley reads as follows. Whoever knowingly alters, destroys, mutilates, conceals, covers up, falsifies, or makes a false entry into any record, document, or tangible object with the intent to impede, obstruct, or influence the investigation or proper administration of any matter within the jurisdiction of any department or agency of the United States or any case filed under Title 11 or in relation to it or contemplation of any such matter or case shall be fined under this title in prison not more than 20 years or both. Alas, in the new American police state, any tool can become a hammer to smash the citizenry. Take the case of Kalorizan Matanov, who was a friend of the Tazarev brothers. You know, the Boston Marathon bombers. Federal authorities interviewed him about his involvement with them, but never charged him for any activity related to the bombing, nor have they alleged that he was even aware of their plans or sympathized with them. He did, however, 
commit a few minor lies during the interviews, and as I have told you, and this is my editorial comment here, I have told you time and time again about Rule 1001 and how just even the perception of lying to federal authorities can land you in prison. If you don't believe me, go ask Martha Stewart, because that's what she went to prison for, not for insider trading, but for the perceived notion that she lied about it. Well, back to um, uh, Matanov. Um, he did was caught in a few minor lies, none of which had any actual bearing on the case. For example... He lied about the last time he had prayed together with uh, Tamarin Tazernov. And on that basis, they're charging him with four counts of obstruction of justice. There were three counts for making false statements based on the aforementioned lies, and remarkably, one count for destroying, quote, any record, document, or tangible object, end quote sound familiar it should sound familiar because i just read you that statute okay with the intent to obstruct a federal investigation that last charge was for deleting videos on his computer that may have demonstrated his own terrorist sympathies and for clearing his browser history the last charge was based on the records section of the Sarbanes-Oxley cited previously. So a law intended to prevent and punish corporate malfeasance is instead used as a hammer against a private citizen. Some people may feel that any possible application of a law is reasonable, especially in our unending war on terror. You're listening to the Constitutional Crusader Show on the American Voice Radio Network. Don't you go anywhere. We will be right back. He says a stranger with every move he makes another chance to take. I thought he won't live to see tomorrow. Since the beginning of the United States, kings have sought it, nations have fought for it. It has been traded, borrowed, purchased, and stolen. There is a reason for it. To secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, invest with the security of gold and silver. Call Discount Gold and Silver Trading at 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Listen to Financial Survival with your host, Melody Cedarstrom, on American Voice Radio Network and Shortwave Radio. Visit DiscountGoldAndSilverTrading.net or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. For the very best in gold and silver trading, call toll-free 1-800-375-4188. That's 1-800-375-4188. Call now. Job stress, financial obligations, or relationship problems have you feeling stressed out? When life is too much to handle, 
Use Apothecary Herbs Emotional Stress Formula. Feel calm and more in control with herbs especially combined to provide the organic nutrition your system needs to help you cope. Complete instructions for maximum benefit and a money-back guarantee. You've waited long enough. Call Apothecary Herbs now. Toll-free, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the 3 wsthepowerherbscom that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. If you're here to feel good about government, if you believe that people in office actually care about your well-being, if you believe that statutes and codes are God's gift to man, this show is not for you. If you believe NBC, CNN, Faux News, and the like actually report real news, this show is not for you. This... is the proper place where those beliefs need disposal of. So if you decide to stick around, this show will not be responsible for your mental instability. If you're brave enough to call in, this is your warning. You best bring facts to the discussion. And welcome back to the Constitutional Crusaders show on the American Voice Radio Network. I'm your host, M. Roy Ben Shadler, constitutional counselor and Still all around pain in the rear end to bureaucrats and Betty Thugs all over. Today is Monday, July 6, 2015. It is the 4 o'clock hour out here on the left coast. And, well, since this is, if you're just joining us here, since this is a first Monday, I've been doing first Monday stories. Stories of Orwellian nature and type. And I'm still still doing them. There's that many uh, first Monday type stories that I've saved up over the past uh, four weeks that it's literally has filled the entire show out, which is kind of interesting because a couple months ago I went two months in a row with zero of them. And then one month, uh, either at the beginning or end of that two-month stretch, with just one story. So it's like, whoa, we go from uh, a severe drought to an overload flood. 
Well, I've been talking about the Sarbanes-Oxley Act, for those of you just joining us here in this hour, and how it's being used as a hammer on, um, on one particular individual because he cleared his browser history on his computer and therefore is being subjected to up to 20 years in prison because he cleared his browser history. Well, in the course of discussing that, I mentioned that G sounds an awful lot like Hillary and shredding her emails, to which during the break I received a little blurb here saying, on the Hillary emails, now you know she didn't set up an email server or delete anything off them, but someone did. Have we ever heard a name, a company, who actually did set up the servers and therefore deleted the emails? Why hasn't that person been grilled by Congress? Just wondering. Very good point. Very good point. And, of course, we know the answer is because Hitler is a socialist and the laws don't apply to her. You know, that's the whole thing. And the counterpoint is finally brought up saying if Congress wanted to get to the bottom of it, they would simply be a matter, apparently the Republicans are protect, protecting Hitler also. Exactly. Boner and McConnell and the rest, they are just protecting her because it's all part of the same crony capitalist chicanery that we have come to know and <clears throat> love. Well, to finish out this story about this young man being charged with 20 years for deleting his browser history, the most objectionable part of this whole thing is that it's being used to punish pre-crimes. You see, when this young man, Matt Tanoff, deleted his browser history, he had not been charged with anything. He was unaware that he was under investigation. His crime was not anticipating that federal agents might someday decide to investigate him, and thus failing to preserve any self-incriminating potential evidence. Now, as Henny Fuckeroy, uh, that's his name, F-A-K-H-O-U-R-Y, Fuckeroy, of the Electronic Frontier Foundation put it, the government is saying, quote, don't even think about deleting anything that may be harmful to you because we may come after you at some point in the future for some unforeseen reason, and we want to be able to have access to that data. And if we don't have access to that data, we're going to slap an obstruction charge that has a 20-year maximum sentence on you. Mm-hmm. An article in The Nation, another left-wing rag. Remember, I'm, re I'm reading to you from the very socialist rag, The Daily Cause, here. Another article they cite from The Nation, another socialist rag, shows that this is not an isolated misuse of Sarbanes-Oxley, discussing several other similar cases. 
bankers and traders waltzed away with multi-million dollar bonuses after their criminally reckless shenanigans almost destroyed the global economy. Their companies paid insignificant fines for criminal money laundering and market manipulations, yet none of them go to jail and none of them are prosecuted under Sarbanes-Oxley. But for Joe or Jane Citizen, it's a different rule of law. The feds require us to do the cyber equivalent of keeping every birthday card sent to us, every grocery list we've written, every draft of a diary, and so on. We might be investigated for years in the future for anything, and we damn well better have every scrap of digital data that's ever passed through our computer's RAM, or we might be sent up the river for obstructing the investigation. Well, combined with federal snooping through our online communications and their efforts to break security encryptions in our data storage, they want us to completely surrender our privacy and personal autonomy of thought. And it's all in the name of freedom, of course. Now, again, as I said, all of that was from the Daily Cause, a very socialist rag. They also published this story. Bigots and racists are getting fired and suspended, outed in droves over McKinney and Black Lives Matter. Now, for those of you who may not remember what I'm talking about, what they're talking about there, McKinney was that pool party down in Texas, and a bunch of people came out and told the truth about what actually happened there. And for telling the truth about what happened there, about how it was a bunch of thugs that had come down from the Chicago area, surprise, surprise, to Texas, and to raise trouble deliberately, surprise, surprise, for people talking about this, well, they're being labeled surprise, surprise, by the Daily Cause and others as bigots and racists. Well, go back to the first story that I led off the show with about media bias and thought crimes. And read the story that I'm not going to read you here about the bigots, supposed bigots and racists. And keep in mind that the Daily Cause is doing exactly what John Nolte was referring to at the top of the stack that I started with, my friends. And I've come full circle. And now I'm going to keep going. I now have what may be the final judgment against Sweet Cakes by Melissa. This is an ongoing, long, ongoing story I've been covering since the beginning of this show. Well, the state has silenced the bakers who refused to make a cake for a lesbian couple and has officially fined them $135,000, thereby bankrupting them and destroying their children's education fund and their retirement fund and everything else. The Oregon Labor Commissioner, Brad Avakian, finalized a preliminary ruling ordering Aaron and Melissa Klein, the bakers who refused to make a cake for a same-sex wedding, to pay 135 grand in emotional damages to the couple they denied service. Quote, 
This case is not about a wedding cake or a marriage, Avakian wrote. Quote, it is about a business's refusal to serve someone because of their sexual orientation. Under Oregon law, that is illegal, end quote. In the ruling, Avakian placed an effective gag order on the Kleins, ordering them to, quote, cease and desist, end quote from speaking publicly about not wanting to bake cakes for same-sex weddings based on their Christian beliefs. Quote, This effectively strips us of our First Amendment rights. The Kleins, owners of Sweet Cakes by Melissa, which has since closed, wrote on their Facebook page, quote, According to the state of Oregon, we neither have freedom of religion or freedom of speech, end quote. The cease and desist came about after Aaron and Melissa Klein participated in an interview with Family Research Council's Tony Perkins. During the interview, Aaron said, among other things, quote, This fight is not over. We will continue to stand strong, end quote. Attorneys for the plaintiffs, Rachel and Laurel Bowman Cryer, uh, argued that in making that statement, the Kleins violated an Oregon law banning people from acting on behalf of a place of public accommodation. In this place, the place would be the Kleins' former bakery, to communicate anything to the effect that the place of public accommodation would discriminate. Administrative law judge Alan McCullough who is employed by the Oregon Bureau of Labor and Industries and was appointed by Avakian, threw out the argument in the proposed order he issued back in April. But last week, Avakian, who was in charge of making the final ruling in the case and is also an elected politician, reversed that decision. Quote, The Commissioner of the Bureau of Labor and Industries hereby orders Aaron and Melissa Klein to cease and desist from publishing, circulating, issuing, or displaying, or causing to be published any communication to the effect that any of the accommodations will be refused, withheld from, or denied to, or that any discrimination made against any person on account of their sexual orientation, end quote. That is what Avakian wrote. The Klein's attorney, Anna Harmon, was shocked by the provision. Quote, Brad Avakian has been outspoken throughout this case about his intent to rehabilitate those whose beliefs do not conform to the state's ideas. Now he has ruled that the Klein's simple statement of personal resolve to be true to their faith is unlawful. This is a brazen attack on every American's right to speak freely and imposes government orthodoxy on those who do not agree with government-sanctioned ideas, end quote. Hans von Spaskowski, a senior legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation, called this order outrageous and said citizens of Oregon should be ashamed. Well, I am a citizen of Oregon, and I do find it outrageous, and I am ashamed by it. It's, it's atrocious. Quote, 
Hans said, quote, this order is an outrageous abuse of the rights of the Kleins to freely practice their religion under the First Amendment, end quote. And it is exactly the kind of oppressive persecution by government officials that led the pilgrims to America. And Commissioner Avakian's order that the Kleins stop speaking about this case is even more outrageous and also a fundamental violation of their right to free speech under the First Amendment. Avakian would have fit right in as a bureaucrat in the Soviet Union or Red China. Oregon should be ashamed that such an unprincipled, scurrilous individual is a government official in the state. This case, as you may recall, began back in February 2013 when Rachel and Laurel Bowman Cryer filed a complaint against the clients for refusing to bake them a wedding cake. At the time of the refusal, same-sex marriage had not yet been legalized in Oregon. The Bowman Criers' complaint went to the Oregon Bureau of Labor and Industries, which is in charge of defending the law that prohibits businesses from refusing service to customers based on their sexual orientation, among other, other characteristics called the Equality Act of 2007. In January 2014, the agency found the clients unlawfully discriminated against the couple because of their sexual orientation, in April, McCulloch recommended they pay seventy-five grand to Rachel and sixty grand to Laurel. In order to reach the total amount of one hundred thirty-five grand, Rachel and Laurel submitted a long list of alleged physical, emotional, and mental damages they claim to have experienced as a result of Klein's unlawful conduct. Examples of symptoms included. Acute loss of confidence. Oh, my God. They've lost their confidence. Oh, what are they going to do? Doubt. Oh, they, they're, they're in doubt. Oh, my God. Really? Seriously? Excessive sleep. They felt mentally raped, dirty, and shameful. High blood pressure. Impaired digestion. Yeah, it was impaired. They weren't allowed to eat wedding cake, so that impaired their digestion. Oh, my God, really? Seriously? Loss of appetite. Well, if they didn't have the cake to eat, what are they worried about? The loss of appetite. Migraine headaches. Pale and sick at home after work. Well, gee, I'm like that after work. You know, I'm sick. What can I say? Resumption of smoking habit. Well, they should slow down and use more lube, but I digress. Shock, stunned, surprised, uncertainty, weight gain, and are you ready for this, my friends? Worry. Oh, yeah. They were worried in their Facebook posts. The Kleins signaled their intention to appeal of Achaean's ruling, writing, quote, we will not give up this fight and we will not be silenced, end quote, already putting themselves at risk of violating the cease and desist. And that, my friends, there is now the end of First Monday Stories, and look what time it is. Oh, my, just as I thought. <laughs> we used up just about the whole dang show. Okay, links of interest. Let's see how many of these 19 links of interest I can get through. Number 19, <clears throat> former Democrat State 
Senator, we need to have a happy days is here again uh, music here. State Democrat State Senator Leland Yee pleaded guilty last Wednesday to one federal count of racketeering and faces up to 20 years in prison and a $250,000 fine. If you don't know who I'm talking about, he's the state gun runner, state senator out of California, who did his own version of Fast and Furious out of his own office while maintaining an A-plus rating with the Brady Center. Yeah, Brady Anti-Firearms Foundation. Yep. Number 18. Remember I told you about New Mexico being the first state to outlaw civil asset forfeiture, that you have to actually be convicted of a crime and then proven that your property, etc., was used in the commission of that crime, and then it would not go to police officers anymore, and specifically, then that was the piece de resistance, that they could not circumvent state law by going to the feds to have the feds do it for them. Well, New Mexico cops are worried that forfeiture reform will Hurt the drug war. And what's the downside? Hmm? Number 17. Horowitz at the Heritage Foundation said, The Communist Party is the Democratic Party, end quote. Well, as a reformed socialist, he certainly would know. Boy, it's really weird to agree with David Horowitz. I mean, it's really weird to disagree with him. Number 16. Now Germany is caving. Outrage. School orders parents to do this or their daughters to appease Muslims. Yeah, you have to read the article to find out what the this is. They're, they're imposing upon their daughters. Mm-hmm. Like I said, Germany's caving. Number 15. Uh, Ted Cruz reminds Katie Couric that Hillary created the anti-Obama birther movement, and Katie Couric looked like she was going to have kittens when he brought that up. Oh, you got to watch the video if you've not watched it, my friends. Like I said, she looked like she was going to have kittens right then and there. Number 14, police estate much? Hmm. SWAT raids the wrong home, breaks windows, then issues the family citations for broken windows. You know, this case gives a new and even more despicable meaning to the term broken windows policing. Seriously, my friends. Number 13, New York City Muslim cabbies thought they didn't have to obey the law during Ramadan. Well, they were wrong. And... Their main complaint was is that it hasn't been enforced before, so I say if it hasn't been enforced before and they complain about it not being enforced before, then the fines should be doubled to make things fair because of the earlier pass they were given. After all, that, that would be fair, wouldn't it? Number 12, I've been warning you of this happening for a very, very long time. Headline, illegal aliens commit 13 child sexual assaults a day. 
in North Carolina. Now, in related news, it's racist and bigoted when Donald Trump points this out. But when the Daily Beast, the left-wing rag, pointed out a year or more ago, everyone yawned. Remember? Number 11, one of the reasons academia is failing. LSU professor fired for telling jokes is the latest victim of college anti-sex hysteria. She said, I'm not teaching Sunday school. Didn't matter. She was fired. Number 10, pathetic, absolutely pathetic. Navy ways having our Marines hitch a ride on foreign warships. Why? Because we simply don't have the, the functioning ship lift capacity anymore. Number nine, shameful government report shows that cops found guilty of beating their spouses are almost never fired. If you're surprised by this, then you haven't been paying attention. Number eight, you will never guess what was in this truck. That Mexican cartel hijacked a truck bound for a U.S. consulate and captures a terrifying prize. And if anyone believes this was just a random thing, then you will also believe that Fast and Furious was no big deal. You've got to read the story, my friends. Number seven, more proof that our cousins across the pond I'm referring to you people that are in the United Kingdom, my friends, have completely lost their minds. After all, less than 20 years ago, the UK banned guns. Now they want to ban knives. Yeah, no knives, not anymore. Yep, completely lost their minds. Number six, stupid tax laws. Stupid gun laws, stupid terrorist laws threaten nonviolent Florida man with 20 years in jail. The feds want to tack a 20 years onto the sentence on attacks and gun charges of a scholar based on the books in his library. Yeah, right. Number five, here's the lowdown on whose pocket got lined with millions to sell away our liberty, about how Boner got $5 million, Ryan got $2 million, McConnell got $9 million, and any doubt why TPA passed? Hmm? Number four, a very good history lesson. The headline, hey kids, it's time for some dumb myths and smart facts about slavery to be exposed. Like I said, a very good history lesson. Number three, New York Times colonists. Time to yank tax-exempt status of religious organizations. Yep. Didn't take very long for that to start coming out, did it? Hmm? Yeah, I told you it was going to be coming, and boy, it sure didn't take very long. Number two, a huge big deal. Crony capitalists 
Export-Import Bank loses authorization for the first time in 81 years. But don't worry, my friends. As soon as Congress gets back from their little two-week recess that they've been on when this uh, authorization um, expired, they'll fix it. But it's kind of interesting that for the first time in 81 years, it's been suspended. You're listening to the Constitutional Crusader Show on the American Voice Radio Network. Don't you go anywhere. We will be right back. have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. Florence, Kansas, 668 
donate online by going to wichitahomeless.com or simply call 316-619-4886. And welcome back to the Constitutional Crusaders Show on the American Voice Radio Network. I'm your host, M. Roy Ben Shadler, constitutional counselor and Still, all around pain in the rear end to bureaucrats and petty thugs. Well, we're down to number one, the last link of interest here. And it's a nice little historical record here from the Weather Channel founder explaining the history of the global warming hoax. Always nice to have a little historical perspective. Those of you that have been long-term listeners to this show, there's really nothing terribly new in what he had to say, but, you know, it's nice to have a little history there. Okay, critical thinking segment. It's a joke, my friends. It's a joke, and it's good, but it's a little teaching on critical thinking here. You've probably heard some version of this before, but maybe you haven't here. A woman in a hot air balloon realized she was lost. She lowered her altitude and spotted a man in the boat below. She shouts to him, excuse me, can you help me? I promised a friend I would meet him an hour ago, but I don't know where I am. The man consulted his GPS and replied, you are in a hot air balloon. Approximately 30 feet above the ground, elevation of 23 or 2,346 feet above sea level. You are at 31 degrees, 14 minutes north latitude, 100 degrees, 49 minutes west longitude. She rolled her eyes and said, you must be a Republican. I am, said the man. How did you know? Well, answered the balloonist. Everything you told me is technically correct, but I have no idea what to do with your information, and I'm still lost. Frankly, you've not been much help to me. The man smiled and responded, you must be a Democrat. Why? I am, replied the balloonist. How did you know? Well, said the man, you don't know where you are going or where, where you are. You've risen to where you are due to a large quantity of hot air. You made a promise that you have no idea how to keep, and you expect me to solve your problem. You are in exactly the same position you were in before we met, but somehow now it's my fault. End quote. There's your critical thinking segment, because <clears throat> that is the situation that we've been living in a, in America for some time. All of a sudden, it's our fault that someone else is having a problem. Yeah, right. Well, that's the way it's been working, my friends. And if you think it hasn't been, well, then you haven't been paying attention. Okay. It is time for the Roy's School of Guerrilla Lawfare. That's L-A-W, for Learn and Win Through a Better Education. 
And as promised during the first Monday disclaimer that I did, I talked about Homeland Security and I said, pay attention to this segment of the show because I'm going to be talking about it. Well, here we go. The headline, why we should eliminate the Department of Homeland Security. Let's dismantle the Frankenstein monster and divide its responsibilities more effectively. Again, this is from Reason Magazine here, writing and saying, after the September 11, 2001 terrorist attack, President George W. Bush rightly resisted Congress's urge to create a new federal department charged with the Homeland Security mission. Bush believed the federal government could protect America with a strong Homeland Security Council managed by the White House, similar to the National Security Council. But following relentless pressure, he acquiesced, and the federal government gave birth to the U.S. Department of Homeland Security on March 1, 2003. Now, that's the way Mr. Meyer, Matt A. Meyer, who writes this, remembers it. I remember slightly differently, and the way I remember is that Bush acted like he didn't want it to go through, but boy, everything he did sure led to it happening, and then everything that he did since it went into effect told me that it's that's exactly what he wanted. So, But that's semantics. Now let's look at it in retrospect. The new department largely consists of agencies and offices pulled from other existing cabinet departments. And after 12 years of mediocre to poor operation and countless scandals, it is clear President Bush's alleged initial instinct was right. The core functions overseen by DHS can be managed more effectively elsewhere, especially where territorial battles undermine operational efficiency. It's time to eliminate DHS and put the various components where they are at a better fit. Eliminating DHS would result in an annual fiscal savings of more, are you ready for this? More than $2.5 billion with 4,000 fewer uh, government bureau rats. Those reductions, however, only represent a part of the rationale for eliminating DHS. The other reasons to do so are that DHS is riddled with performance inefficiencies and that its existence creates inefficiencies in other federal entities due to the need to coordinate across organizational boundaries. America can't afford more of the same as terrorist threats reemerge. With a new president getting elected in a year and a half, Starting this discussion now, hopefully, will spur proponents and opponents to enter the fray and help presidential candidates to think about how they might more effect, efficiently and effectively protect America during their time in office. Hey, I got an idea. Let's just do away with it completely and remember that since September 11, 2001, there have been what? Uh, Oh, yeah, zero Americans killed by terrorists 
like Al-Qaeda and ISIS, etc., yet we've had tens of thousands of people murdered by police officers. Hmm, just something to think about, you know, just, just something to think about. Well, this gentleman here, uh, you know, Mr. Um, uh, Mayor, he writes and says that he spent nearly two and a half years at DHS, where he first oversaw the terrorism grant training and exercise programs for state and local governments. So you see already where his biases lie, okay? Under Secretary Tom Ridge, when Michael Chertoff took over, he became the counselor to the deputy secretary on policy and operational issues. So again, you can see where his biases lie. He said his time included the response to Hurricane Katrina. And in the nine years since he left DHS, he said he likely have written more on DHS than just about anyone, including a book, Homeland Security and Federalism, Protecting America from Outside the Beltway. Well, it goes without saying, he says, that he observed up close the dysfunction, turf battles, and inherent limitations in an entity that does so much. These problems are exacerbated due to the fact that in many cases, the activities DHS engages in require enormous coordination with the entities embedded in other federal departments. For example, the Transportation Security Administration must continually coordinate with the Federal Aviation Administration and the U.S. Department of Transportation to give the overlap among their responsibilities. By moving the non-air components to DOT and the air components to the FAA, decisions would be made more quickly and without the turf battles between department heads. I would add that recently, I believe it was the FBI, ran a security check through TSA, and in a month or so, they managed to unchallenged smuggle hundreds, if not thousands of grenades, firearms, and other such quote-unquote prohibited items past TSA checkpoints, unchallenged and undetected. Uh-huh. Well, similarly, with the creation of the Assistant Secretary of Defense for Homeland Defense and America's Security Affairs, having the U.S. Coast Guard outside of the U.S. Department of Defense is, well, nonsensical. Now, with that, I highly agree. Sinking the four military branches that focus on our external threats with the military branch that secures our domestic waterways will enable unified command and control capabilities and streamlined support systems. Two entities within DHS that would align better elsewhere are U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services and its ombudsman. The USCIS, the Citizenship and Immigration Services, Functions are closely associated with the U.S. Department of State's Bureau of Consular Affairs. A quick look 
at their respective mission statements shows how similar the two entities are. The mission of the USCIS is USCIS will secure America's promise as a nation of immigrants by providing accurate and useful information to our customers, granting immigration and citizen benefits, promoting an awareness and understanding of citizenship, and ensuring the integrity of our immigration system. Meanwhile, the mission of the BCA, the Bureau of Consular Affairs, is to protect the lives and interests of American citizens abroad and to strengthen the security of the United States borders through the vigilant adjudication of visas and passports. Uh, the Bureau of Consular Affairs contributes significantly to the United States government goal of promoting international exchange and understanding. Our vision is to help American citizens engage the world. The Bureau issues the travel documents that allow Americans to travel the globe and lawful immigrants and visitors to travel America and provides essential cycle of life services to American citizens overseas. Well, with such similar missions, what efficiencies and effectiveness measures are gained by having these entities in separate departments? BCA's more extensive mission could easily absorb the USCIS's complementary functions. A final example is the domestic federal law enforcement functions within the U.S. Customs and Border Protection and U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, you know, ICE, those two entities consistently must coordinate with numerous elements at the U.S. Department of Justice, including the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the Drug Enforcement Administration, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms Explosives, and the U.S. Attorneys. By having those entities under a separate cabinet officials, the opportunity for turf, turf battles and arbitrage are heightened. Equally problematic is the multi-headed hydra faced by state and local law enforcement with a large portion of state and local terrorism funding residing at DHS and ICE's existence in the department. State and local enforcement must contend with multiple intelligence, I know oxymoron, multiple intelligent entities, after all, DHS's weak fusion centers, the DOJ's Joint Terrorism Task Force, and the FBI's field intelligence groups, for example, coordinating the bodies and fun funding offices. You see, you see where he's going here, my friends? There's a problem I have. And in case you haven't picked up on it, I've been waiting to see if anyone does pick up on it, and hopefully some of you have. He keeps talking about efficiencies. And every time he keeps talking about efficiencies, I'm like, hmm, you know what? It's rather nice having a government that's inefficient because a government that's efficient at some of the things the government is efficient at is a government that's oppressive. But I do agree strongly of dismantling this behemoth 
getting rid of the TSA, among other things, are wonderful ideas, and frankly, getting rid of the FBI and other things like the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms that have zero authorization within the Constitution to be in place in the first place. But that makes way too much sense, and people aren't ready for that yet. But since he said at the beginning of his article, it's time to raise awareness so that politicians can start thinking about where they stand on these issues, well, I'm going to do the same thing. It's time to start thinking about these multi-alphabet uh, soup agencies, and please show me within the Constitution where they are authorized, and if they are not authorized within the Constitution, what the blankety-blank are we doing with them operating as freelance operators within this country? <clears throat> Just asking. Just asking. Well, he goes on and talks about the fragmentation between these agencies. It only ensures that key items will fall through the cracks between the departments whose personnel spend far too much time fighting each other for primacy than they should. Our enemies couldn't ask for a more fertile environment within which to attack us. Actually, they couldn't ask for a more fertile environment where we're prevented from defending ourselves, my friends. He goes on and says, during his time at DHS, he said he, quote, unfortunately, end quote, spent too much time fending off fiefdom building efforts by Michael Brown and his staff at the Federal Emergency Management Agency, otherwise known as FEMA, over the three and a half billion-dollar terrorism grant programs that he ran and Brown wanted. During the transition from Secretary Ridge to Secretary Chertoff, Brown engaged in a running debate over whether preparedness functions should reside outside or inside of FEMA. The guy said he won the debate when Secretary Chertoff kept the terrorism preparedness function outside of FEMA. Well, at the time, he said, he focused on the importance of protecting terrorism preparedness operation from the constant operational natural disaster response and recovery tempo of FEMA. He said he made the case that terrorism preparedness operations tended to wither on the vine because FEMA needed to divert resources to ensure successful responses to natural disasters. And we've all seen how well FEMA does at that, my friends. <laughs> really, seriously. So he said he had real concerns in our post-9-11 environment that terrorism would play second fiddle to the nationalization of natural disasters. Of course, I say, of course, naturally, seriously, what the heck does FEMA have to do with uh, terrorism? attacks, unless they're responding to the government coming in and bulldozing neighborhoods um, to replace them with high-rise office buildings like the Supreme Court allows, and I talked about a couple weeks ago. Uh-huh. Remember? Well, in the congressional actions after Hurricane Katrina, FEMA finally got the terrorism preparedness functions it had long sought. Wow, don't you feel better about that? And he says, though it's hard to admit, 
He says he concedes that combining the preparedness, response, and recovery elements in FEMA hasn't resulted in terrorism preparedness getting weakened. It doesn't mean that it's improved much either. Much of FEMA's recent success is due to the excellent leadership of FEMA Administrator Craig Fugat. Uh, but he forgot. Remember that. That I know. I love. I love people's names. Sometimes, my friends. It's just like it's like really seriously. That's the name, and that's their position. You know, Craig forgot because he forgot that he combined with a limited number of major natural disasters occurring during the Obama administration. Mm-hmm. And the experience of the FEMA administrator is clearly critical to its operational success. Well, so he says. I say FEMA should, again, be done away with. Private, private agencies can do a much better job if we just get the government out of the way. After all, the private agencies are local. And as local, they're close to the community, and they know what the community needs, rather than FEMA having to come in and go, oh, we need to do an assessment. What do they need? Oh, they need this. Oh, and, oh, and, and they, they also need Brian Williams to report on the dead bodies floating by. Yes, we also need that. That's very, very important to have all this. Right, right, seri- right seriously. Mm-hmm. Well, given how often the FEMA administrator interacts with the president, creating a layer of secretarial management between the two makes very little sense. Having the FEMA administrator report instead directly to the president is especially important because it simply reflects the reality of what happens anyway when a major natural disaster strikes America. FEMA should once again become a standalone agency, or better yet, just disappear completely, as I said. Um, That said... The terrorism-related grants, training, and exercise programs should revert back to the DOJ, which should also disappear again, unless you can show me within the Constitution where it where it's, uh, should apply. After all, and it should only apply within the federal government, which means Washington D.C. Uh, the and all enclaves of the federal government, which is not the states. Hello. Anyway, strengthening the connection, as he says, among domestic terrorism entities in federal, state, and local governments. Now, he goes on to something that is interesting here. The U.S. Secret Service, its main mission, as they proclaim it, is, quote, to ensure the security of our president, our vice president, their families, the White House, the vice president's residence, national and visiting world leaders, former presidents, and events of national significance. The Secret Service also protects the integrity of our currency. Well, they've obviously done a really good job at that by allowing Federal Reserve notes, but I digress, and investigates crimes against our national financial system committed by criminals around the world and in cyberspace. See how good a job they did against the banksters? Right. Well, given that very specific mission, which they have totally failed at, as I've just exposed, the director should report directly to the person his agency is charged with protecting. Perhaps the scandals and failures of the last few years are due to the agency's longstanding incumbent with being 
placed in the bowels of a department. It's hard to think that reporting directly to the president will not up the accountability level. Beyond the fiscal savings of eliminating inefficiency and at times ineffective layers of management, operations should improve. Things certainly couldn't get any worse. Well, actually, I think there are ways that it could get worse, but I digress. As DHS Inspector General and U.S. Government Accountability Office reports over the last 12 years unequivocally demonstrate DHS has not been a model of success. To boot, surveys of personal personnel consistently show that DHS employees have the lowest morale in the federal government. Well, surprise, surprise, surprise. As the saying goes, when you find yourself in a hole, it's wise to stop digging. Good intentions lead to creating a new cabinet department with 180,000 employees and nearly a $38 million budget that's ballooned to 240,000 employees and a $61 billion budget. That's what we've been proposed with, my friends, or that's what's been foisted on us. And as a result, we have this multi-headed hydra that has taken over. And that is why I say on First Mondays that the DHS, Department of Homeland Security, is lifted practically word for word from Nazi Germany's homeland security initiatives. And, but with the difference being, as this gentleman here points out, it doesn't have the efficiency that the Germans were very notorious about having. Do you think that's such a grand idea to have it that efficient? Like I said, not only should it be broken up, but then the individual pieces dismantled completely. Again, unless you can show me within the Constitution where these things are authorized and necessary and called for. Can't do it, can you? Well, that wraps up this edition of the Constitutional Crusader Show. Until next week, my friends, unless the creek rises or they come and take me away again, my fellow Americans, keep your powder dry. Mm-hmm.